Hello everyone, it's Paul here with some exciting news. I'm absolutely delighted that Series 4 of the Past Podcast is brought to you in partnership with the wonderful Chef Works, outfitting chefs, kitchens and front of house all around the world. Chef Works offer a collection of great uniforms, so to check out their full range, visit chefworks.co.uk. On with the show. Hello podcast fans, it's Paul Newbegin here with your first episode of the series and by golly have we got something good for you. It's a Hyde special, so what do I mean by that? Well it's a special episode focusing on the incredible new addition to London's dining and drinking scene, Hyde, which as you will hear in this interview after only six months, won one Michelin star and it's the brainchild of Oli Dabu. And he has teamed up with the team from Hedonism Wines. And uh, this restaurant is unlike any other I have ever visited in my life for podcasting or for pleasure. Uh, and you will find out about that. So first up, of course, in the interview has to be Ollie. Um, so let's crack on with that chat. On with the show. Especially when you've kind of got, you know, different levels and and different, almost like, concepts as well yeah you need different people in kind of different mentalities i guess as well yeah i mean you need the right person you know uh for the right job in the right kitchen and uh yeah and you've got something this big you need to compartmentalize it into sort of manageable uh chunks of work and responsibility um so now here i mean it's basically got you know pastry bakery above and ground um and i think we've got amazing head chef and senior team on you know covering all of those and uh yeah it's been great kind of creating that culture and, and um kind of having it run run throughout the the brigade from from the top down and just sort of you know, creativity, common sense, hard work, but just having, oh, I guess, a mutual respect and it's, it's such a big operation and so much to do and, you know, you want people to enjoy their time mm. here and do a good job and kind of spread their wings. Mm. So it's, uh, no, it's been an amazing five months for us. Was it, was it always going to be like this? Was it always going to be this scale or did it just keep growing and growing? Um, yeah, it's sort of... Um, like a, sort, sort of on steroids in a lot of ways. Um, we knew it would be big. Probably didn't quite realise until it was finished how how many covers and you know that we'd be we'd be doing. And apart from the covers, the scope of the offering, you know, on the ground floor, it's breakfast, lunch, afternoon tea, and dinner, and then you know different menu upstairs and make our own breads, our own jams, charcuterie, croissants, yeah. You know everything's done in-house and, you know, done, I think, to the best possible level. Um, so, yeah, it is, it's It's a huge workload, but, you know, very proud. We did our, you know, biggest day recently. It was 527 covers and to do it at the level we do it at, you know, and whilst keeping a happy team and happy customers, I think, is a testimony to what the team it is. It is. If people, if people listening don't know, that is, mm. that's kind of almost unprecedented, really. I think for this level, it's, you know, there's, you know, few restaurants in London that do those covers and fewer still that do them to this level. Mm. 
Well, I suppose, really, we've got to start somewhere with a congratulations, right? So, <laughs> you say five months and yeah. one Michelin star? Yeah, I was going to say, given given the yeah the scale and size, it's um, yeah no credit to the team. So we were so we were hoping for one, one um, you know obviously it's wrong to say you expect it, you know because you know we didn't have a long time to kind of prove ourselves, but also you know what you're serving on the pass, and you, you know deep down, you know whenever I'm serving food, I don't I don't think of you know, is it worth a star? It's just, am I happy with it? Mm. You know, and I think you need to be first and foremost, you know, self-critical as, as possible. And yeah, I've been genuinely, you know, very happy with the consistency of what we serve and also the creativity of the dishes, the aesthetic of them, the lightness. It's, you know, we, we've all put a lot into this place and it's, you know, it's nice seeing it filled with happy customers rather than just a building site which it has been yeah. for, you know for a while in um, the lead up and I definitely get the impression because I've been following you guys on mm. Instagram and what have you that this again the building project was just huge obviously because you'd gone from a, an established place yeah. and what have you probably did you kind of forget how long it was going to take um, to be honest I mean we needed the the lead up for the um you know, all the recruiting, getting all the tableware, you know, I mean, there's so many layers of attention to detail that go into somewhere like this from a, you know, design of the uniforms to the smell of the soap. And uh, it gave us time to do that. Um, also regarding the opening kind of menu portfolio or recipes, there are, you know, well over 100, I think, dishes across all the menus that we needed to not only be happy with ourselves, but train the team to produce um and also train all the uh the front of house so they knew mm. the allergens the you know what wines to go with them so when we did food tastings pre-opening i was doing them for 120 people you know across three days i was sort of horse by the end of it talking about <laughs> through the dishes but i just wanted to get the team invested yeah, yeah, and yeah. sort of have, have that sort of emotional connection to the food and the place and think if people are proud of what they're serving then half the battle is won good so kind of want to rewind you back a little bit if possible so yeah. we, we sort of alluded to your your restaurant before in in london and a lot of people regard that as one of the sort of finest restaurant had a fantastic reputation yeah. and obviously everybody was kind of winning everything out of it at that time yeah. and luke was winning the room yeah. scholarship and it was just like this <laughs> dynasty yeah. of incredibleness and then all of a sudden you kind of go right let's do something from scratch what kind of led that decision what drove that decision yeah I just felt we're taking it as far as we could and um, you know rather than see the place kind of platter or or become sterile I think it was just felt time you know innately to, to do something different something a bit bigger um, I felt like I'd outgrown the business a little bit. And as much as I loved that place, the walls were creeping in on me and you start seeing the imperfections. And especially in the kitchen, it was a tiny kitchen. We set a kitchen up for 70 grand. You know, I brought in pots and pans from home to supplement the ones that we had there because it was, you know, the opening budget was so small. And sort of, uh, you know, over time, it, you know, just... Uh, felt like you know just wanting to spring spread our wings a bit more and also with a 
business of that size, there's a limit to how much you can delegate and how much the people beneath you can can grow. Because um, otherwise, they'd be sort of doing my job. So, uh, no time was right, and yeah, it was very serendipitous because um, you know we'd been outbid on a couple of sites, and then I got you know Evgeny out of the blue contacted me about this place. So I was sad in some ways, you know, because it was the first one and, you know, I'd put everything into it. But equally, it's nice to sort of, um, to kind of finish something at the top. Was it interesting? Because I remember reading a lot of articles and it was quite, from what I gathered, this was always quite kind of secretive at Mm. the beginning. You know, you couldn't talk too much about what you were kind of going to do. And was it quite weird being on your side when you've probably got journalists going, what's your next step? What are you going to do? No, I mean, it was... um, we wanted to not talk too much about it because we you know, wanted the place to speak speak for itself. And, you know, the the more build up in general, I think the more disappointment, you know, you, do, you, know, there's, you know, didn't want any kind of two year lead in press releases full of hyperbole and, you know, um, and claims uh, rather sort of open somewhere um, a little bit more kind of uh, with a bit more humility um, and hope people like it rather than saying we're going to be this, that and the other is ultimately the the customer who decides whether they like it and whether they want to come back. Um, so a lot of the reason for the, I guess, lack of communication wasn't, was nothing other than um, wanting to surprise people and, and, uh, and just yeah, a sense of um, I guess discretion. You know, yeah. there's, there's a lot of, you know, like there's a lot of chefs, a lot of PR, a lot of voices. You know, I'd rather kind of, you know, say less, deliver more. Mm. Well, when when you kind of start something from scratch, you know, you've kind of got a blank canvas, right? So yeah. where did you? Because the scale of this is so yeah. grand, as we've yeah. spoken about. So where did you personally start? Did you start from? Right, what's the what's the food going to be? You know, where where do you kind of? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, given Evgeny's involvement and uh, you know investment, it was you know it needed to be something that everyone was was happy with and felt achievable. Um, you know, with with this place, we you know there was a natural kind of three tiered approach with the, the fine dining mm. you know the the all day and the, the bar and private dining room so the the site lent itself perfectly to that I mean Dubu was two floors you had this bar and the restaurant so it's just adding adding another another level really to the offering um, and again given the scale of it you need a diverse offering you know to you know there's 180 sort of bums to put on seats here in, in one one go. Um, so you need a diverse offering. And it sounds like a soundbite saying I want to be all things to all people, but genuinely you can come here, have an amazing coffee and a croissant, mm. you know, and leave a change from a tenner. Or you can, you know, come for a wedding anniversary and, yeah. you know, on, yeah. on, on, you know, in above. And, you know, have some amazing wine brought from hedonism and, you know, we wanted to be that scope and it, it makes it fun uh you know because you get a broad demographic you yeah. know there's you know there's people with kids you know as well we're a very inclusive restaurant you know there's um you know that that's something that also appealed when we opened up debut 
you know, wanted it to be sort of a little bit anti-establishment. I felt, I mean, it's going back seven years now pretty much, but when we opened there, I think London Fine Dining felt a little bit bourgeois, a little bit flabby and wanted to do something that felt a bit more kind of ruder, stripped back and, (laughs) you know, democratic. And they were now in, you know, prime spot in Mayfair, still want there to be a sense of value and um, a sense of inclusivity rather Mm -hmm. than a sort of... uh, anywhere sort of stuck up and this you know like you know there's so many restaurants out there you want you need the customer to to feel affection mm. for you and and you know it's um you know so we, we've tried to try to be as accommodating as possible well I, i've spoken obviously i've been lucky enough now to start doing more and more interviews in london and as a lad from leeds i have spoken about literally just spoke about it to Ollie Marlow and he says you know on our street there's probably three other Michelins mm. in a five minute walk yeah and so <clears throat> I imagine a part of your approach with the kind of multi-faceted is just on the scale of competition it just means that you've got that offering here as well yeah yeah it does I think you know you need you know you need as many strings to your bow as possible I, think, I can't think of a more competitive industry than this one uh, the one thing I'd say about Hyde is that when you're here, both what's on the plate and what's around you, you can be anywhere else in London. No one else has a restaurant like this and no one else serves food like this. So very proud of the individuality and also proud of, like I said, that sort of inclusivity as well. Well, I was saying to Matt, I've been recording in this area quite a bit recently mm. and every time I walk past, I can't not just <laughs> look in the window yeah. because it's just... just and I've just had the tour. Okay, yeah, yeah. Everything yeah. is just... I can't... It's non-describing. Yeah, yeah no, no. There, there aren't the superfluous. No, it, it is... Um, no, it is something that is, you know, I think feels like a treat. And, you know, whether, like I said, whether it's coffee and a croissant or three-course meal, just everything about this place is, you know, it's, it's the best kind of luxury because it's... Um, it's sort of simple pleasure. It isn't opulence or, uh, you know, anything sort of overblown. It's I think, I think the pitch of the the interior and the kind of thoughtfulness in the design and it's and the space, you know. And that was also part of the reason, you know, for the name Hyde. We wanted people to feel kind of nourished, cosseted, you know, sort of indulged in this sort of little cocoon in the heart of London. So. You know, yes, it's a big space, but it's sort of triple glazed and there's a kind of serenity within. Mm. Um, and no, I think, that, you know, space is key to that. There's, you know, not many restaurants where, the, you know, you can kind of spread out and mm. straight away it, it relaxes you, you know, compared to being, you know, some places in Soho where, yeah. you know, you're sort of crammed in and queuing up and, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit of hustle and bustle is fun, but also there's, you know, sometimes you just want comfort and uh that said in services here you do get a lovely lovely buzz mm. you know and uh with the restaurant that's of this size it, you know it's sort of uh i guess there's a sort of there's a level of kind of grandeur and fun to it as well you know it feels like a night yeah, out yeah, yeah. you know so that's always nice witnessing that from you know looking out from the kitchen you know sort of seeing everyone having a good time so after sort of all everything that kind of 
you've achieved now and the things that you've done how do you see your role in Hyde what is it that you kind of try and facilitate in the team um so I guess you know first and foremost is sort of I guess establishing the DNA the culture the you know working with Evgeny Tatiana Rose the sort of the design and wanting the food to complement that. When when we were coming up with the dishes, it was you know important that they matched the, the decor. Um, my role, I guess, on the day to day is um, coming up with the, the dishes and uh, making sure they kind of stay true to the the original ones that we do up and uh, it's quality control. Um, and just trying to make constantly, I think, refine, improve, uh, make things better. Um, and obviously support, you know, the head chefs on, on, uh, in every department. Um, you know, whether it's sort of going, you know, today we had an early tasting of, you know, the sort of bread basket that we're moving on to for autumn. And, you know, so it's basically, uh, you know, giving feedback on on the dishes or showing the dishes that I want to be, you know, coming on the menu. And uh, I was going to say, it's a big part of my job as well as there's so many special requests here, whether it's private dining rooms or <laughs> private hires or cooking, you know, for a charity something. Or, the, you know, there's constantly, constantly requests, yeah. you know, and it's basically making sure that what we offer people is achievable and, and on brand mm. and um, so yeah just I guess it's I mean quite a varied role but uh, still you know try and be on the path when I can but equally it's having the different kitchens has forced me to, to delegate in a way that you know I could you know I couldn't at Dubuque at Dubuque it was a tiny pass mm. I needed to be on there yeah, yeah. Um, you know, such a multifaceted operation, it kind of forces you to be a bit more in the sort of, um, I guess, the sort of the creative sort of side and then the the day-to-day execution is, you know, for other people to do. But equally, I need to check that it's, you know, everything is sort of how it, how it should be. But that said, I've got amazing head chefs and, and it's nice having them there collaborate on, on the dishes because initially I was sort of keen for for all the teams to understand kind of what hide food mm. you know was yeah, yeah, and yeah. kind of create the imprint the DNA same way where it's sort of a new designer's first kind of catwalk collection or whatever it takes a while yeah, to establish that and obviously we had a style of cooking at Dubu obviously this is similar but also a little bit more theatrical in parts and embracing kind of the nature of Green Park and the decor here so I, I like to think we've kind of pushed it on a notch mm. rather than I didn't want to open up with many of the same dishes for yeah, example yeah, yeah. or just be kind of just more of the same I wanted it to be it would kind of make it pointless really yeah no, exactly exactly and there's no point you know kind of going to the all the through the work and attention to detail that we had done just to do kind of uh stuff that people had seen before so it's nice I mean there's some dishes that have a little nod and there's some dishes that I'll get on the menu that you know that that we did at Dubu that I think are great and I can't really improve upon um 
But no, the vast majority of the dishes here are, are new to Hyde and, uh, you know, it's been great people embracing it and also having all the debut regulars like it as well. I've had a sense of responsibility to yeah. those guys because, you know, they showed me a lot of love, a lot of loyalty. And, um, you know, I felt bad, you know, if you shut someone's favourite <laughs> restaurant down, it's, it's yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, yeah, I, was, I felt sad for them as much, you know. Uh, when, responsibility. Yeah, yeah, no, so it's been really lovely seeing them after being, you know, kind of in the wilderness for a year or so. Obviously, I was working hard on this place, but, yeah, yeah. you know, it was, um, it's been nice seeing them, you know, become regulars and enjoy it again. And it's part of the thing that you kind of keeps you going in the restaurant trade. I mean, as much as I love cooking and, and working as part of a kitchen brigade is, you know, that, that relationship with people that really like the food and, and have a, an affection for, for what you do. You know, you want them to have a great time and appreciate their, you know, their, their support and loyalty. So, it's it's really nice having that again. It's mm. something that I didn't imagine I'd kind of miss as much as I did. Mm. The final thing which I wanted to ask you, which I think is um, quite relevant to what you're just saying about there, is I get the impression the more interviews that I do that um, it's quite, re- especially again in somewhere like London, to kind of retain staff. Mm. And obviously, again, as we mentioned, you got Luke who yeah. was with you. I believe Josh was with you yeah. from before. Yeah. So was it quite important for you to bring them with you yeah I mean you know they're great chefs great guys um, I'd worked with a few others of the of the team as well but you need a kind of rolling start um, you know that they know the core kind of prep I guess or the basics how I like things to look how I like things to taste um, and I think it was the right time for both of them I mean it's a big both have you know a lot of responsibility, very big job, and yeah, I can be proud of them. They've they're doing incredibly well, and uh, yeah, I've really stepped up. I mean, there's very few people that could do, you know, the jobs that they do, and uh, you know, again, they do it, you know, by and large with with a smile on their face, and you know, so it's not just the job you do, but how you do it that, that's important. You know, with with somewhere as as big as this, so. Um, yeah, I just want to have that that culture. Um, so I mean, it's, it's you know, there's a lot of work to do here. There's a, you know, there's a sort of level of expectation on on everyone, but you know, there's you can also be intelligent about things, be polite, be respectful, and you know, I don't want to be angry sixteen hours a day. You know, I've got you know, I need to put my energy into more productive things and. Um, yeah, a little bit of, you know, intelligence goes a long way. And, and you know, apart from being great chefs, they they both have, you know, a manner to, of working to them that I respect and uh, I want to permeate through the kitchen. Well, I, I mean, the, all I can say is, like I said to you before, this place has fascinated me from, <laughs> from the first day it's opened. I've been following you guys really, really avidly. Every interview obviously means a lot to me, but this one particularly is something that I've been really looking forward to. Uh, and just thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you Likewise. So Cheers. So up next, I chat to Lucas Selby. He's the Ollie's head chef at Hyde Above. He's also a Rue scholar and an incredibly talented chef. 
still a way to go, I think. You know, we're not 100% there yet. We're still trying to find our procedures and things fitting into place, you know. So we're still, mm. yeah, it's a lot better than what it was, but it's still, still stuff to work on, you know. Is that the perfectionist, didn't you talk? Yeah. I don't know, possibly. <laughs> probably, yeah, probably. But, yeah. It's all, so a lot of these conversations have kind of started from, because obviously with Ollie from before, yeah. um, from kind of that moment where he said, kind of first ever told you about the kind of idea of Hyde, and I wondered what your reaction was. Um, well, at first, I was Ollie Debu's head chef at Debu's. Um, I can't remember. <laughs> well, um, how long ago was that? It feels like ages. Um, just before he closed and we had Yevgeny actually came in and did a day in the kitchen and stuff so it was all kind of hush hush didn't really know um, Ollie was saying, I remember Ollie saying oh you know this guy could potentially be um, an investor or you know for this, this this wasn't this project wasn't really on the cars at that time but it was just an idea I think was forming in Ollie's head so it was kind of really interesting to see Evgeny coming in the kitchen and their relationship and then he closed the booze for this Project. I went to Japan and trained there for three months, and it kind of just worked really well. Mm. I said, I said to Oddie, really, it kind of seemed like at that time with Debu, like you were what you won the Chef of the Year and you'd won the Rue Scholar, and yeah. he was two star, and he was this really you know prestigious chef, and it just seemed like you know all of a sudden then to go right, we're going to shut it down and we're going to go somewhere else. Like people were a bit like, really. Yeah, um, I don't know. I think for Ollie, it was, it was kind. Of, I think he wanted to expand. He was so limited from what he had there at the booth. You know, it was a tiny little kitchen with a brigade of about six on a day. You know, and it's which isn't bad by any means. But I think you know, we just had a we had a grill, an egg, and a six burner. That was it. You know, compared to the facilities we have now, and just we're spoiled. Um, so I don't know. It was. Uh, <laughs> I think it was a decision for him. You know, he did five years. I think he did all he could do in that space, mm. and he was limited by that space. And now mm. it's on to bigger and better things. I think. So has it been? Has it been quite a good natural kind of progression from being here now? So if you kind of almost had to say, well, these are the sort of elements of our cooking that we kind of want to keep, and this is how we're going to push ourselves on. Yeah, definitely. As, especially having the two different restaurants with Josh downstairs. You know, there's kind of there's all it's all Ollie's food and it's his style and identity. But I think. You can try to push it a bit more and refine it a bit. Still the same identity of his... And that's the great thing. He's got kind of downstairs and above, so we can kind of showcase the more fine dining aspects of his food upstairs and still keeping the kind of integrity downstairs as well of what mm. Ollie's food is about, I think. And you've obviously been kind of in charge of the more tasting menu. Yeah, it's tasting menu-driven. Um it's just it's just different. It's uh, they're two different, separate, completely separate restaurants and yeah. completely separate kitchens, um, and they're very very different. You know, we offer just tasting menu, but it's and they offer a la carte downstairs. But you know, they do more covers, but we we have a longer menu, so it kind of they're just very different. You can't really compare them. You know, sometimes if we have a hundred covers tonight. That's on a ten course tasting menu. That's a thousand plates of food that leave that little kitchen. Mm. So it's quite. It's, High high intensity and kind of not too laborious, but there's a, there's a lot of work that goes into each plate. So 
So do you get to have kind of your influences come into that tasting menu as well? Is it kind of a conversation with Ollie? I mean, yeah, Ollie's Ollie's great. He's very... Um, he always, always asking your opinion and different ideas. He's more than willing to listen to anything that you have to offer. He always asks for your feedback and any dishes that he puts on, you know, he asks my opinion. And I think we our ideals and our kind of, um, I don't know... Uh, well, very similar. They're in line, I guess. His because he he has a lot of Asian influence in his cooking as mm. well. Without, um, you know, and that works well for me because that's what I'm really interested mm. in. And I, having done some time, a little bit of time in Japan, that kind of works out in hand. Also, we get. I think we understand each other quite well. He's had the training at the Manmar, which I had as well. You know, I was the sous chef there for six years, so we both trained in the same kind of French fine dining restaurants and kind of understand when he says something I know what he means and mm. what he wants or what he's looking for you know and your your time I was reading about this yesterday so correct me if I read this wrong but your time in Japan came about through the Rue scholarship yeah that was yeah that was a prize through winning the Rue scholarship so one the one of the main prize is um a three month stage anywhere in the world at a three mission star restaurant um and for me it was I had to go to Japan so I've always wanted to work and train and see their culture um, as the first scholar to go to Japan as well that's what really interested me I can't believe that nobody else had chosen that before you I think it is um, I don't know it's I'm just putting my I, I thought what was the hardest thing I could do and um, really put yourself out of the comfort zone because no one spoke English there's one person in the kitchen that spoke English English wasn't a common language in Japan anyway um, we were working six days a week one day off so it was quite tough it wasn't a holiday but um, I don't know I, I, I really wanted to it was quite not a lot of sacrifice but it was a lot of hard work so I wanted to put myself in that situation yeah. whereas I could have done something easier and gone you know to France or <laughs> yeah that's easy but, tra- tra- well, <laughs> but I trained in French yeah. French kitchens and I could have I may have gone to America or something, but I just wanted to something that was like completely different to what anyone else had done mm. and really put myself out, out of my comfort zone. I thought that was, for me, that was a perfect decision. So what would have, what would have been the sort of biggest sort of learnings from that trip, if you like? I think um, the biggest shock was the culture. Culture shock was so different. Their mentality, um, but also just the way they work and their dedication and work ethic and the quality of produce, everything. I learned so much in just a short, only Short, short space of time. I was only there for three months, but what I took away was amazing. Mm. And it's somewhere that you'd like to return? Or? Definitely, yeah, definitely. I want to go back and yeah. get more of it, for sure. <laughs> for sure. So, obviously, that's quite a big thing, winning the Rue Scholarship. That's quite incredible, right? You're in, yeah. you're in uh, sort of legion with some of the best chefs. So, how were you shocked? Were you taken aback? Were you... Um, uh, I don't know. I, I was... Yeah, I guess so. It was just it was a massive privilege and honour to be kind of, you know, um, I'm super competitive and that's you know I wanted to win obviously, but you know it was I think it was a very humbling moment and also to be accepted into that family and mm. to that kind of band of brothers, they're all so welcoming and um, you really feel like you're part of something, you know. Mm. So I definitely encourage for guys to do it, you know, and I, I want guys in my kitchen to be looking to enter and see how well they can do. We talk about your competitive edge. You came back from Japan and entered 
the chef of the year competition as well. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, that was a, that was a nightmare. So I did. <laughs> well, it was, it was a I nightmare was, winning that competition. Yeah, oh, it, was, it was hard work. I wondered if we'd taken on too much because I did the semi final um, just before I left for Japan. So you do the semi final. I did in where was it? It was in London. Um, it was just before I left. So I competed in that. Got through to the final. And then I jetted off to Japan, three months in Japan. And then I came back and I had two weeks. I was literally came back the day before they had the um, the mental day, the un, un, the revealing of the um, mystery basket. So I was like, touchdown the day before. Next day I was in Leatherhead, um, finding out what the ingredients were. Then I, it was two weeks until I had to cook at the restaurant show. So it was just like, it was a lot, um, a lot of hard work. But yeah. Worth it? Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, I got the results, so it was worth it. But I, yeah, I was a bit like, I really need to knuckle down here. But yeah, what, so what are you what are you going to win next? What what would you what what's the next <laughs> one that you're just going to win? And uh, I don't know. Just want to start. Um, that's that's a start. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I'm just going to keep at it. See what other opportunities come away, and you know, stay focused here. Drive. Obviously, I want my own restaurant one day, but yeah, it's kind of. You know that will that will come from what I do here. So mm. just gotta keep my head down. So do you do you have that kind of vision in your head now then of what it would look like, or is it something that you're trying to sort of build up? Yeah, I through think, working here. Or? Yeah, I mean I, I know what I want already, and um, I have a vision in my head of what I want to do. But it's just an idea is different to reality, isn't it? So yeah. Um, will I be? Will I get anything out of you if I try and tease it out? Absolutely not. No, it's going to be a secret. Everything's close to my chest, but right, you know okay. I've got. I've got, you know, I've got to do another, do my time here. Mm. And, yeah, exactly. I was talking to Matt when walking around Hyde and the great big open windows above. Yeah. And, you know, I said just looking out onto that park, it reminded me of... um, Geranium, geranium in Copenhagen oh, where really? you can see the park you can see the seasons yeah. you know and is that something that kind of inspires you your surroundings oh definitely I think that's so important you can associate with what you what you eat from you know your surroundings and it's, I think that connection to nature is so important um, especially here we're blessed to have you know one. I think it's one of the best views in London it's gorgeous. we're so so lucky to have the view over the park and you know, I think with Ollie, he's really tried to create um, a menu where you can associate with what you're eating. You know, even when we opened, we had different petit fours that are shaped from the leaves from the park, and even the details on the walls were all from the park. So, you know, I think that connection with nature, and there's something with the lightness of touch of Ollie's food, it's very um, ingredient and almost naturally led, I'd say. It's almost an organic feel to the restaurant and to the food. Mm, I, I think it, it sits completely, like, really well, and it all works in harmony, I think. I get um, I get a lot of tweets on my timeline or pictures on my timeline of kind of chefs visiting here. I think you were one that a lot of chefs were wanting to kind of come and visit. I think a lot of people were uh, following <laughs> you. Does that bring pressure when you kind of get people in the industry really interested in you? Um, uh, no, I don't know. Not, well, not. Pressure. I don't. I think we just we just do what we do every day. It's not. Um, we're not anything. We don't do anything different or special. But yeah, it, I think it is. It's nice. It is nice to have. You're a cool customer, aren't you? Interested. Quite <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. I'm yeah. Quietly confident. 
<laughs> like, well, like I say, you know, you've got you've someone's got to back yourself, right? And it might as well. Oh, be. exactly. It's got to be you. Yeah, you got to believe in yourself. And you got um, you got some family in the kitchen as well. I think. Yeah, right? yeah. I've got two brothers with me, so Nathaniel and Theodore. They they both been here from the beginning on the opening team. So I'm really yeah. lucky to have a really strong core team, people that have worked with me for a long time. We worked together at the Malmar before. Um, so you know. I'm really lucky in that respect. They're both junior sous at the moment. So they have a, you know, one cooks the meat, one cooks the fish. You don't get any family tiffs then in the kitchen? No, <laughs> no, no, all, not all. We're, we're, we're strong together. It's a good, we have a good dynamic. I don't know if I'd like my sister, like, bossing me about. <laughs> <laughs> like, no. Yeah, no, I know. Are, you, are you the oldest? Yeah, I'm the oldest. Oh, well, that's all right. Then. Okay. So, right, okay, that's all right. It works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can just, you can just boss around. Yeah. I suppose, though, like, I can just picture in, like, a sort of Christmas day with you all sitting around and then you're, you're going, oh, uh, just remember, you know, we're in next week and we've got to do prep. And so can, you, can you switch <laughs> off, you know, when you're just together um, as family? Uh, yeah. I think we do. Yeah, we do. We completely. I think it's really important to switch off when you know work's work, but you need to compartmentalize your life, and otherwise you'll just end up going crazy because you need to have different releases. It's a very high pressure and stressful job, so you do need to switch off. Mm. I think they do as well. You know, we don't really talk. Well, we, there's always food and stuff, but it's not about work. <laughs> we still cook, and we like you know just. On my last days off, I went foraging with them and different things. So we, we do different things to do with food and food-related, but it's not so much in the kitchen or to do with the kitchen. Have you had, have you had kind of like a... What's the word? Like almost like a meeting to say, this is kind of going to be our style, or is it just kind of letting yourself kind of speak, you know, letting your food speak for itself or letting your, your talent speak for itself? With, with Hyde? Yeah. Um, no, no, just... Well, it's it's Ollie. It's Ollie's restaurant. It's, it's always going to be Ollie here. So, you know, I'm his head chef, and we work really well together. Um, and he does give me a free reign over the kind of the menu and the dishes. But I think my style is I have an idea of what I want to do, and that's kind of what I'm figuring out at the moment and mm. in the process of at the moment. I've still got another couple of years before I look to do my own thing and do you know have my own place where it will be my my food, but. I think it's just natural progression at the moment and it's just everything here is a learning curve, you know. Mm. So I'm in a really fortunate position to be here in the position I am and have the kind of Ollie and other guys around me that are, you know, there for support, mm. you know. I don't think there's many, I don't think there's any Michelins in London in the country that do the numbers that this whole place does. Yeah. And we've been talking with a couple of the guys now so far about two separate restaurants do you think it will be eventually that Hyde above is viewed separately to below um well you know it's yeah it's two separate restaurants two different kitchens two different head chefs but it's in one building um yeah I think well we are I know the goal for the owners and probably they want to be recognised as two and that would be good but you can't you know even with the Michelin Guide it's, it's up to them it's not you I'll never dictate to them. They're, they're, they're the guy. They're the Bible. They, you know, they give one staff the whole building. That's their decision. You have to respect that. Um, maybe they'll um, view us as two restaurants, but it's it's completely there. It's not for me to say. Mm. You know. So the the podcast that I do it is largely about dishes. It's about recipes. It's about yeah. kind of the food that you serve. Do you have 
um, a dish or a couple of dishes that you're serving above that you could talk me through that you're particularly proud of or something that kind of stands out from your journey so far? Um, yeah. <laughs> Let me have a thing. Put you on the spot. Sorry. We've just, we've just changed the menu, so it's, uh, what we're doing. I mean, we've, we've got this uh, beautiful lobster dish on at the moment, um, which is barbecued in the shell over the charcoal. And then we serve it with, um, make a sauce from the shells and make a puree from that and then that's served with a it's like a smoked beurre blanc sauce finished with dashi vinegar um, so that's one of the dishes on but I think that's you know it's it's clean and served with just shaved fennel it's very simple but also simple but not simple but mm. on the plate it looks elegant and it's yeah. I don't know it's kind of uh, to, I guess it it's kind of Ollie's food. That's that was like it's it's simple, light, and elegant. Not too much going on, but concentrating on great flavour. There's quite a lot of kind of touches of flair and a bit of kind of almost theatre in some of the dishes. As yeah, well. I think more more so above um, in our restaurant. There's a bit more theatrical stuff going on. You know, like smoking the egg or different bits that kind of give that wow factor. Visual stuff, like even you know, we do one thing with the. Petit, um, not the Petit Four, the pre-dessert, because we have changed through the season. We change, we serve a, it's always like um, a ripple of a, two different, an ice cream or a sorbet or something, and it changes, flavours change with the season. And also we serve it on a block of ice that's set with different, so when we first opened it was kind of very spring-like and flowers. Now we're changing to kind of autumnal, so it's a bit more like, brownie leaves and stuff like that and then going into done a few development ones for Christmas as holly and nice. kind of the red berries as well so yeah. it's very you know stuff changed with the seasons I think that's and visually it looks stunning yeah is that, that, that must be really fun to kind of do as well yeah no definitely it's, it's like you know when you look at something like that, that looks nice yeah yeah, it's like, yeah. It's not you bad. kind of give that element of kind of fun and theatre to the guests yeah yeah is it is that a part of kind of creating that experience for returning guests as well? Because I imagine you must have people that want to come back every time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we do. We we have quite a few people that come back, a few regulars that come back. I think what we do is is quite clever because we have um, a set tasting menu, but it's not just one one menu, and that's what you get dictated that you have to eat. There's choice within our tasting menu, so we give a choice between. Um, both two fish dishes, a choice between two meat dishes, a choice between two desserts. You have an option of a supplement in there that we do a foie gras dish at the moment. And there's um, an option of the cheese course as well. So there's quite a lot that you can yeah. have choice. You can come back, you know, four times without having the same menu. Yeah. And, and of then, course, then more pressure on you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then also, you know, we change all the dishes seasonally as well. All the dishes change probably once a month, um, or at least our dish is changing once a month. I mean, we've got pigeon dish going on today. Next week, we've got three dishes changing. So it's constant development and always pushing forward, I think. I've, I've spoken to a lot of my guests about this before. When you are committed to change, do you ever have a sort of fear factor that the next dish you put on isn't going to be as good as the one that replaced um, it? Or is it just about, we'll, we'll make it better? Yeah, you can't really... I think if, if it goes on the menu, it's got to be good. So there's always there's always going to be a standard there. Um but I think you, you have to change. You can't just have the same dish on constantly. Otherwise, you know, it's not... We want, what we want to do is use the best produce and 
kind of that changes with the season. You know, Lobster's not going to be the same even last week to how it is today. You know, mm. the season's coming to a, a close. There's lots of different things coming in. Mm. There's Milo Prawns coming in within the next couple of weeks, but that's a very short season. So it's, you know, there's lots of different things where ingredients are their prime. So that's what we want to do. Use the best. Um, we're very lucky in that respect. Use the best that we can at this one time and then it'll be to a next dish. But then when you do, you build up a repertoire over the course of a year so we can look back and say, right, that was great at that time. Those are the dishes we yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's when you start developing and can remember an idea that you used to have and then even the next year you do it, refine it, make it a bit better than the yeah. year before. So it's, it's always a constant treadmill of developing and pushing forwards, I think. It's like kind of a bit of an evolution, isn't it, of, yeah. your, of here at Hyde? Because like you say, you are still quite new, so it's yeah, all constantly. still kind of in baby stages almost. Yeah, exactly. It is. You're, you're never going to open to um, how, you know, the finished article is always going to be improvements, always going to be something that can be done better with everything, you know, even with staff, with finding the right team. You know, the team from when we opened and how it is now is probably a 50% uh, turnover in that. Um, you know, finding our systems, procedures, the right suppliers. It's just everything's constantly trying to get better, you know. So I think we're in a great position now. You know, we're stronger than we were six months ago and then six months from now, we're going to be even more strong. Well, I, I can't... I this is one of the restaurants that I'm just so excited by the potential of it. Yeah. I can't wait to kind of see how you guys progress. I think it's going to be really, really exciting. Yeah. Um, and I wish you all the best with your journey. I thank you <laughs> no. so much for your time. No, thank you. My thank pleasure. You, Cheers. Up next was one of the men that made this interview happen. Could not have done this without Josh Angus, who is the head chef of Hide Below. Uh, and I do thank him for that in the interview, but thank you so much again, Josh people that have sworn every other word so really yeah. I mean chefs are like that yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about it so so I kind of get I kind of get the impression that you especially are cut this like really at the at the cold face I suppose of of height you know like being downstairs it's number one you, you know you're right there as soon as people walk in yeah and it is also the area where it is kind of the most multifaceted about about the business really yeah, I mean, does that kind of bring challenges to you? And yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and say it's easy. It is a hard job, but it's what we do it for, I suppose. Like, I've worked ten years, 10, 10, 12 years as chef, eight of them in Michelin. So you you work to that standard to get to where you are, but it is a bit of a beast. I'm not going to lie. Like, we have breakfast, lunch, afternoon tea, and dinner downstairs, doing about. 400 covers a day just downstairs so it is challenging I've got a team of about 45 chefs and that's challenging <laughs> in itself to be honest just uh, trying to keep that many staff and trying to mm. keep them happy because there's so much competition in London mm. and sometimes I feel like I'm a bit of a psychiatrist but uh, <laughs> it's all good uh, I mean it has its challenges but I enjoy it um, yeah was it, was it something that you kind of uh, saw yourself, you know, if you think of yourself like when you started being a chef, you probably had a vision of how you would be uh, as a head chef. Was it what you saw? Is it quite different to how you imagined it kind of panning for you? No, I mean, I'm very happy in how I'm doing. Like, obviously, we've only been open six, seven months, if that. Uh, we've got a star after five months. 
So I'm very happy with obviously the accolade we got, uh, but also I'm happy with how I am as a manager. I feel like I'm quite like you can come and approach me about anything. If any of the boys or the girls in the team want to come and speak to me about anything they can do, uh, I try to look after them because I've been there. Do you know what I mean? I've worked my yeah, arse up yeah, like yeah. they have, and so you've got to try and respect. And I think the industry is a little bit different to when. I mean, not saying I'm very old, but saying when I probably started uh, as a commie chef or a demi or whatever, 10 years ago, I feel like there was more people in the industry and more people that wanted it more. So it's a bit harder nowadays to get the guys really up for it and stuff. But I've got a really good group of guys and girls in the kitchen, really happy with my team. Um, Yeah, just really happy with them. It's just... Trying to keep him motivated, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, but has its ups and downs. And yeah, I mean, when Ollie approached me about Hyde, I, I was all for it. I mean, me and Ollie have been in touch. I used to work for Ollie about yeah. three years ago as a sous chef for two years. And we've always done little bits, like whether it be a dinner or something. And we've always kept in touch. And he's approached me about other ventures that might not have panned out. Uh, but this one actually did. And we never knew it would be this big, I suppose. Uh, when he approached me about for being head chef and for downstairs and stuff, I was like, yeah, yeah, it sounds really good. We thought it would be about 80 to 100 covers per service, but now we're looking about 160, 180 per service for dinner. So it's a bit different, but you learn on the job and you make it better every day. So, yeah. And if you, don't get pay- if you don't get a lot of customers, then you don't get paid, do you? Yeah. <laughs> so... No, it's all good, all good. So you're like, say you, you obviously known Ollie from before. Yeah. So you were literally, well, you were straight on board where you didn't need any convincing. And... Uh, I mean, you always need convincing, eh? Uh, but no, I've known Ollie a, a long time now. I've worked with him, obviously, at the booth for two years. We've kept in touch, like I said. We've done private dinners, we've done pop-ups. Uh, we've always been in touch about different ventures and stuff like that. Uh and yeah, I mean, to be honest, when he told me about it and how much they were spending on it and just the layout of it, and then he showed me the site probably about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, it was it was kind of a yes, like yeah. I'd be stupid not to. Yeah. I mean, it's my first proper head chef role mm. and I've kind of just jumped to the that's extreme. A, that's interesting, because uh, well, obviously, like you've just said there, you've had to then obviously probably come up sort of think in your head how you yeah, want to be seen as a head chef and yeah. that extra layer of responsibility so yeah. have you sort of found it coming naturally? I think so yeah I mean I just treat people how I want to be treated really and I, I, like I said I think the industry is a little bit different now you can't be a, a bit you can't be too aggressive you can't be calling them everything in the sun or swearing at them all the time mm. I mean don't get me wrong I do fucking swear at them when they're our place and stuff but I think you got to treat people with respect and lead by example so I'm in there uh, as many hours as all the guys if not more uh, when we started I didn't have a day off for like a month you know we're doing six days a week and stuff so you try and lead by example but also like yeah it's treating with a bit of respect I suppose and as long, I want a happy workplace. I want them to learn while they're here. I mean, we've got an amazing restaurant, amazing kitchen. Uh, so we've provided them with all that, but I want them to learn and be happy at work because mm. if they're not happy, they won't stay. There's not much competition in London and 
stuff. So that's what I want for my staff, to be honest. We were just talking actually before we went live about, um, you know, obviously you're from Sheffield, I'm from Leeds, about that kind of difference of what London brings. Yeah. So have you always kind of worked down this way? Uh, no, I mean, I've been all over, to be honest. Uh, started in Sheffield uh, for that first three years of my career. I ended up being a head chef for two restaurants, but I was like 20 years old. I was like, what the hell am I doing? So then I ended up applying to loads of different Michelin. I ended up going to Le Mans mm-hmm. but I took a big pay cut and went from a head chef to a commie chef, straight to Le Mans oh, yeah, And then kind of like looked back after Le Mans to me, and it's been in Michelin kitchen since. Uh, went to Le Mans Then I worked with a guy called Shane Osborne in uh, Hong Kong. So I went to work in Hong Kong for a year, worked in Cheltenham for a bit. Uh, then we moved to London, been in London for probably five or six years. Mm. I've had quite a versatile thing in cooking because I've not always just been in Michelin. I've done a bit of private chef work. I was a development chef for uh, uh, an ingredient company, Bella Zoo Ingredient Company. So I did that kind of different role. Right, okay, yeah. Just different aspects, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I mean, maybe I thought about going into it when I was 40 or something, but the opportunity came up for me and thought I'd give it a go. I've uh, been a private chef as well. So it's a bit of time off, I suppose, from the Michelin mm-hmm. kitchens and then get back into it. But yeah, I mean, I've been in London about six years, but I've lived in Sheffield, Oxford, Cheltenham, Hong Kong. Uh, yeah. Is, is the difference, though, in London just that sort of broad diversity of people that come through the door? Because, you know, and that's Ollie was literally just saying, you know, you can get people coming in for a full blowout. You can get people coming in for a coffee. You've got the afternoon tea aspect, which yeah. is probably what tourists almost... Yeah, I mean, the thing is, in London, there is so much competition. And for me, London is probably the best dining scene maybe in the world. And I think it's very underrated for what we do. There's so many good restaurants in uh, London, so many restaurants that should be three stars. Not necessarily London, but just UK. Uh, but like you say, there's different aspects. People coming in for coffee or people coming in for afternoon tea. I think up north is a little bit different. Like like I mentioned to you earlier, I don't know if people want to spend the money well like they would here. I mean, we get people coming in here and having caviar on their oysters and white truffle supplement like there's hundreds and hundreds of pounds but maybe people won't want to pay that in uh, up north but I think up north it's more destination restaurants so you've got the Black Swan you've got Moor Hall you've got Sat Baines I mean all great restaurants but I think the more destinations mm-hmm. you go to that restaurant yeah, I think up north there's a few cities that are struggling and stuff where London there's just so many like mm-hmm. It's the best capital, really, for food for me. Like we, it's just so much competition, but we we're absolutely nailing it. In my eyes, like you could go out every night of the year in London, and have a different meal every night, and still have a great meal. Do you know what I mean? There's that many places, but it's great. I was walking around last night, and there were people queuing for like tea shops. Yeah, you know, and I'm like, this is cr- you know, this yeah, is crazy. Yeah. I'm not queuing for a cup of tea <laughs> in Leeds, like, and it, it it's just that it's just a melting pot, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, uh, yeah, well, yeah, that's it. I just want a tea bag, yeah, tea bag and, and a meal. You know, I'm cool with that. Yeah, and I, I suppose that you say you you have to kind of put yourself into into the environment in which you know yeah. you're cooking. So, how do you kind of try and frame your day as a chef? Because you're in you're in here from breakfast to dinner. So how does it kind of work for you guys? Um, well, I mean, my usual 
routine is you get in in the morning, make sure breakfast is ready. I have a big team, but I have different segregation. So breakfast, I have a completely separate breakfast team. I have a sous chef running that, but then I'll also have maybe two of the sous chefs with me on the day. And we get all the orders done in the morning and we help with the mise en place. I'm, there might be one of myself or a sous chef running the breakfast pass. Once that's done, we clean down and we get ready for lunch, uh, do lunch service. Once that's done, we clean down afternoon tea service. Then once that's done, dinner, really. So, I mean, especially when we first opened, I was on service for 16 hours a day right. on the pass, literally just... But now I've, I've took a bit more of a step back. I rely a bit more on my sous chefs. They look after breakfast or they might look after afternoon tea. So in the afternoon, I can maybe go do some paperwork or something. But the morning kind of setup is we do the orders. We make sure breakfast is ready. We make sure everything's ready for lunch. We check the booking sheet, make sure there's any VIPs or we check out my covers, make sure we've got everything ingredients-wise in and stuff, especially meat and fish you have to get ahead with and stuff. Uh, a lot of our suppliers don't necessarily deliver on weekends because we like to get the best produce we can. So we get a lot of meat in from Lake District farmers. They don't deliver on weekends. So you're just kind of planning ahead yeah, at all times. Kind of really. yeah. Strategic. Yeah, that's it. Uh, it's just all about planning. I mean, in all honesty, I don't really have a, a knife in my hand that much anymore. I'm more. It's more of a walking around and making sure of putting out fires. It's probably the best <laughs> explanation. Um but I try to get in and prep whenever I can. I mean, if there's a bit of fish or a bit of meat, I'll always try and jump on it. But I do find that I'm walking around putting our fires or I'm on a pass, whether it be breakfast, lunch, afternoon, yeah. tea or dinner. I mean, it's just such a big operation that that's kind of what my role is. Mm. And I've come to terms with that, to yeah. be honest, but I enjoy it. So, yeah. What interests me, because obviously there aren't, I mean, I've been big food. I've been to loads of different restaurants. I've been so lucky. Um, but there aren't, that I can think of any any there's no way like this mm-hmm. you know and when they announced a few weeks ago that obviously the whole place yeah. has got a star mm-hmm. I was like oh is that not you know should it not be yeah. two separate yeah. Michelin star yeah. places I mean I think we were all a bit shocked about that to be honest but in my eyes I was still happy uh, I mean we obviously originate we wanted it to be seen as two separate restaurants so hide above their, it's, it's only tasting menu so you could say that they're pushing for maybe two stars I mean we had this idea that they're pushing for two stars and downstairs high grounds pushing for one star we wanted to be judged as two different things uh, Michelin obviously just judged us as one but in my eyes I don't really care because we've got the star and in my eyes it means that everything we're doing is, is one Michelin stand worthy so that's Upstairs, hide above is one Michelin star. Downstairs for my breakfast is one Michelin star. The afternoon tea is one Michelin star. And then the a la carte is one Michelin star. So you can look at it as a negative, like, oh, why didn't they judge us two different restaurants? But you also got to look at it as a positive and think, wow, we've done in five months. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. We, we're probably the busiest Michelin restaurant in the UK, if not one in the world. But we do... About 600 cover, covers a day or something like that. So we're a busy restaurant. And, yeah, I mean, after five months, it's, it's a great achievement. So I was happy either way. I mean, I got what I wanted. Yeah. We were determined to get one star downstairs. Don't think we'll get any more, personally, because of the covers we do. Uh, 
but I'm very happy that we got the star and we keep that standard and we'll just keep the standard till the day I leave, pretty much. Well, I wonder, because that my initial thought was the same as yours, and then kind of, obviously I'm outside the business so I can sort of think about it and muse about it, and I sort of wondered if, because it was that you're just so new, mm-hmm. and they kind of just panicked, like, well, we know this is, you yeah. know, this is such high level, so we'll just... Yeah, you know, we'll give it the star for now because yeah. probably there would have been outrage if yeah. it hadn't. I think yeah, yeah, yeah. the whole foodie community yeah. would have gone a bit crazy. And then now they've probably got that full year to review it. And yeah, maybe. I mean, the f- who knows what Michelin thinks? Yeah, only they do. Yeah, uh, but all we can do is thank them for giving us the star. That we've been recognised for it. Obviously, we put a big investment into it, and uh, in my eyes, I'm happy. Like we've got the achievement. I mean. We're still one star. I don't think we could have come in at two star personally because it's a big ask for the size of the place. Maybe next year or the year after, who knows? But um, yeah, I mean, it's a great achievement and I think Michelin are the only ones that know what's going on and and the day they'll do what they want to do. So, (laughs) (laughs) Is Is this kind of like the start for you now? Yeah, I think so. I mean... I'm not going to lie, it's been a very tough year. Uh, <clears throat> so I've never been working for the company for a, a year now because we had a little development kitchen before and we were developing on the menu and obviously helping plan the kitchen or the build of the kitchen and stuff. But it's been a great experience, like being from the start and seeing everything and making it all work and seeing, I can remember first seeing this site and I walked around it, it was like a car park. Like it was just nothing here now you look around it it's absolutely beautiful and to be part of it it's amazing but then also I want to take this and just run with it really and I'm not sure what my plans are next but maybe I go off and have my own restaurant somewhere or I don't know I'll be a head chef somewhere else with maybe not someone above me because obviously Ollie's above me as an exec chef but I don't know I mean I'm just taking it for what it is and thanking Evgeny and Tatiana for bringing me on board spending this money I mean we've got a good budget for staff and kitchen and stuff so and the produce we get is absolutely amazing so I've been very lucky to have all them things so I just I think once you get to this level there's no kind of stepping down yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I wouldn't ever go back to a sous chef or anything like that but I might do something a little bit smaller for sure <laughs> I don't think I'll ever do anything this big again because I think it ages you about by 10 years. Uh, <laughs> but no, it's all good. I mean, I've enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, and uh, just looking forward to what comes next. I mean, I'll, I'll obviously dedicate it to the company and stuff, so mm. no uh, no idea to rush on yet. Um, so, yeah. Has it been quite, quite fun kind of establishing the different types of kind of menu that you have yeah because something I've looked at like your afternoon tea menu for example and it's not something I really tend to do yeah. as a foodie but yeah. I did find myself really thinking do you know what I would I would yeah, do yeah, that yeah. Like, that sounds really interesting yeah. I mean the thing is like especially for downstairs it's we have our a la carte menu which we really focus on the best produce but also trying to deliver probably one star should I say but where breakfast and afternoon tea is a little bit different, I find. I mean, I think our breakfast is a one-star breakfast because the produce is amazing and we just deliver it. But, I mean, breakfast is breakfast. People want to eat a fry People want to eat eggs benedict. They want to eat eggs royale. They want to eat avocado on toast with poached eggs. But you just execute it well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you kind of... I don't think you can play too much with breakfast. Afternoon tea, again, 
we've done a little bit of spin. We've made it a bit more quirky. We've made it a bit more new age modern instead of uh, the big tiers where you'd find a Ritz and stuff. We've not gone down a classical route. We've gone a bit more, yeah, a bit more quirky, I suppose. But we just execute everything to a tasty standard. And uh, yeah, I mean, probably not the best word to use, but um, <laughs> yeah, we just try and execute everything the best yeah. we can and make make sure it's really nice to eat I mean using the best produce we're not, we're not doing anything too crazy with afternoon tea I mean we've got candy floss on but that's not crazy uh, yeah, yeah just yeah I mean we're just doing quality cooking with amazing produce so. but it is having that kind of point of difference yeah because I think you can you could look at that and go oh they're you know they're a posh restaurant and they're just sort of trying to yeah. cater to the tourists or whoever yeah. that want to come by or you can go oh actually look at it and they are trying to make make it something else and obviously like you said the focus is probably on the a la carte mm-hmm. and that's where you can really express yourself yeah. as a chef but it's yeah. making sure that if we're offering an element yeah we actually yeah exactly if we offer an element we do it to an amazing standard so prime example for me are our croissants uh, we make all of them in house and they're some of the best croissants in London, if you ask me. Uh, I've just had one this morning. Yeah. Delicious. <laughs> so, I just mean... Just had the little cake as yeah. well. The, 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 the banana? No, it's the grapefruit. Google hook for it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah that's, that's tasty. That was really delicious. But, I mean, we have a head baker, Slavomir, who's been with the company for... Since day one, but he's been a baker for, I believe, for like 20, 25 years or something. So, he, he knows his way around the... I've seen that oven flat. downstairs. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. But that's it. I mean, everything we do, we try and execute it to the best possible way. And we make all our charcuterie in-house. We make all the jams in-house. Nutella we make in-house as well. So, I mean, we don't even charge for Nutella. But if people want Nutella on the croissant or on the toast, we make it. We've got like a chestnut Nutella on at the moment. So we do it with different seasons and stuff. And I mean, everything we try and do, we just try and step up at one more level, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. I don't think you could say anything fairer than that. I think that's a yeah. that's a great way to wrap it up. Yeah. I was aiming for twenty minutes. We've done twenty minutes. That's perfect. perfect. Yeah. Well, you know, like I said to you at the beginning, you've pretty much been my get into this, yeah. uh, into Hyde, and I really thank you for helping me get my head in the in the door. That's um, all right. It's been great talking about your story. I'm really looking forward to kind of following you, especially if you do ever want to come back up north. Yeah. <laughs> Don't say it too loud. My mum will be listening to this. I wish it. Well, it's no time soon, mum. A few few years, yeah. Yeah. Um, But thank you so much, mate. And everything that you do just looks absolutely incredible. Thank you. Thank you for your time. My pleasure. Anytime. Cheers, mate. So, up next was the bar manager, Oscar Kinsberg. He talked about working with Ollie in the past, and he also talked me through some incredible drinks recipes. So it's, this is obviously really interesting now because we can kind of get to change the conversation from the food from side to drinks, yeah. to the drink side, and that has been, from everything I've read, a massive, massive part yeah. of, of this project, and obviously with the sort of hedonism mind behind it as well. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like it was always going to be that drinks were, in, were important. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think just a sort of duo of myself and Ollie as well, because we have we also have a history of having a bar and restaurant together. I think if you know that we're, the two of us are involved in the same project again, 
you kind of expect the drinks to be there as well. And it's quite nice. A lot of people have come, a lot of our old regulars have come down to the bar as well and they weren't sure if I, if I was involved or not. And then they, they kind of go like, oh, yeah, good. <laughs> we get the tasty drinks again, yeah. which is really nice. And, um, it, you know, it's not something we necessarily advertised when we closed what we were going to do. So mm. we kind of just hoped that people would find out about it and, and they did, which is which is really nice. Well, I think as, as a foodie, especially a bit in London now, you do see a lot of these restaurants opening that will have like a restaurant concept and then downstairs a bar concept. And then sometimes they work really well and sometimes yeah. they look great. And sometimes you think... Uh, that's just the kind of way of getting a bit more money into the business. Yeah. And uh, you go downstairs and it's just stunning and it fits and it looks right and it feels right. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it is special to have access to all the spirits and, and wines that obviously come through, through a hedonism. I think for me, the greatest pleasure is that we actually sell them as well. And, uh, I haven't worked in Mayfair for a very long time. So in, in sort of Australia where we were before, it's a very different clientele. And, uh, you know, you, you kind of try to put on something fine and rare every now and then, but it'd mainly be myself drinking it at the, at the end of the day. So it's quite nice to have, um, I've got to say, I, I didn't think we'd sell as much as we do. Uh, but it's really nice to be able to open open bottles and, you know, you get to smell them and you get to try them and you get to, yeah, recommend the right one for the right guest as well, which is... Yeah, really, really, really nice. And then um, same, same with the wines. Um, you know, the average spend on a bottle here is far, far higher than we ever had at Dabu. And it's just nice to see that people come out to to enjoy the good things that we have, and they kind of see the value in what we do as well. Because uh, we don't, we don't really put that much markup on on wines. So I think that's really nice and people come and they notice that because the people that do know about wine, they go, oh, wow, this is good value. Mm -hmm. So they tend to kind of spend a bit more than maybe they would normally. And again, it's really good for all the staff because you quite often get to try things and uh, you get to... <laughs> that's you just, not a bad you, thing, is it? No, exactly. I've but seen you, that. You, know, you, just, you just learn things. And, uh, I've, seen that, I say, I've seen that behind that bar. Yeah, but it's, it's kind of an unwritten rule, isn't yeah. it? Like you get to... You get to you need to know what you sell at the end of the day, so you, yeah. need, you need to try things. Yeah. And I think that's one of the good things for the for the guys who work in the bar as well. Mm. Um, uh, I remember when we kind of started, uh, most of them had never worked with a back bar of that size before. So we started playing this game, and it's like, right, can I have a bottle of... Well, can I have a double of X whiskey or X rum? And then, you know, in the beginning, it could take them 10 minutes to find the bottle... <laughs> But now, now they know where everything is, and um, they they kind of uh, <laughs> working their way through all the products as well and learning about them. So it's I love having a big back bar, and everyone that works in in my sort of team, they're all uh, they love it as well, and they're really excited about it. So they, they sort you know they study on their free time, and they open them, they smell them, they write down notes, and it's it's really nice. And it's obviously something you don't open with 450 spirits on the back bar. If if you do a normal opening, because you just don't have the yeah. sort of budget for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, even though we had a lot when by the time we closed at, at Dabu and Oscars, we didn't have as good a selection as yeah. here. What what was kind of like the brief then? You know, to take take it back to the beginning. What was kind of like 
when you got involved, what was it that Ollie said, this is kind of what we want to achieve with the bar offering? With this uh, it wasn't so much about that. It was more, um, uh, it's going to be a cocktail bar in the basement and uh, I'm running it. So I kind of, I devised a spirits list with a buyer from Hedonism. Mm-hmm. Um, I designed the layout of the bar stations and everything. Uh the, the interior and the decor, that's all that's all Tatiana and um, a company called These White Walls. Um, but in, term, in terms of drinks and uh, sort of theme, if you will, uh, that's that's all me. Um, wow. Yeah, which is really nice. It's like having your own bar, but uh, you sleep better at night. Yeah, <laughs> and, it, and it's situated in one of the most impressive Yeah, yeah. But obviously, I think the sort of the good thing about uh, Tatiana and Evgeny, they, they put people together... To, to, run a re- to run a restaurant and a business for them. Mm-hmm. And they kind of let us get on with it to, to a certain extent. So you then really micromanage, mm-hmm. which is, you know, Ollie cooks the food he likes to cook. I make the drinks I want to make. And so far they haven't really vetoed anything, which is, which is good. <laughs> so if you didn't have kind of a brief then, what was your idea? Where did you kind of, if it's your concept, where did you kind of, was it just from um, your experience or? I mean, it, I don't think it really is a concept as such. I think it's just good drinks and good service. And, you know, you get a friendly welcome when you come down. You get a little welcome drink. It's just, I think it's just a nice bar. It's obviously a good vibe. And then I think the music, which is, um, I think it's mainly Evgeny's ideas, but it's, it's kind of music I like as well. So it's called the sort of 60s, 70s rock and roll. And uh, it just goes with with the interior and the drinks and the spirits and, and everything. I think, for me, I don't really think you need a theme for a bar. I think if you do the basic things really well, I think the reason that someone comes back to a bar is because you get well looked after. Mm. And, you know, you can get really good drinks in a lot of places. But the place that you tend to become a regular in is where people know your name. Sounds a bit... No, no. It's all like a cliche. But I think I think that's sort of what makes the place stand out. Um and I said, what brings me back to a place. Mm. So I think what we work sort of hard on all the time is to get to know our, our guests. And, uh, you know, you recognise them when they come, you know what they're going to have for the first drink, and you kind of have it ready when, when they come down. I think that's yeah. that's what I think is important. So uh, is it all like having the different elements, like the wine, the spirits, is it all kind of getting them all in harmony or is there, is there a so, focus yeah. on I mean, Obviously, we're, we're a cocktail bar. I was going to say, but, it's e- more like but e- equally, a lot of people come down and drink wine, which is great because we do have such a good wine selection. So why, why wouldn't you? And mm. We're not going to turn our nose on anyone if you, you know, whether you want a vodka tonic or a, or a glass of wine or, mm. or a cocktail, we, we're there for everyone. Plus, we have a great team on Sommelier. So if we're a little bit... <laughs> out of our depth on the wines, we can always grab one of them and they'll be more than happy to, to talk through the wines with with the guests as well. well the podcast is primarily a, a, a recipe podcast, if you like. Okay. So why don't we have some, if you're enabled to share, I'm, I'm sure there might be some yeah, secrets. Yeah, it caught me a bit off guard. There, right? there might be some secrets for some <laughs> no, of the No, 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 not at all, not at have all. Have you got a couple of cocktails that, you know, that kind of almost signature or stand out from the five, six months that you've been over? Um, I mean, one... Uh, I'd say that the most popular one is one called Adam and Eve, mm-hmm. uh, which is it's a milk punch, if you're familiar with, with the term. So it's um, uh, Adam and Eve, it gets its name from the fig leaf, which mm-hmm. is uh, the sort of main flavour in there. 
and we used um, rum, cider brandy, velvet falernum, which is like a spiced rum liqueur. This one's also got a little bit of Riesling in it, so it's a brand oh, called wow. Bonplant. So it's got a little bit of acidity, which is quite mm. nice. Uh, we essentially do a sours with this, and then we pour it into milk. And obviously the milk curdles, mm. and uh, it's how you make cheese as well. So you, you get like a cheese, you get a boozy cheese at the bottom. So obviously all the curds fall to the bottom. It sounds pretty disgusting. I'm not <laughs> not really saying it. But what you get left on top is this sort of beautiful, clear liquid that looks like, it looks like water. But it's obviously got loads of flavour in it. And um, that's, that's proven to be really popular. We serve it quite simply just on a sort of block of ice in, in a glass and... Uh, we do lime twist on top and we throw it away, but it just looks like a glass of water on an ice cube. But it, it's got loads of flavour. You get the kind of texture of milk, but without without any of the milkiness, if that makes sense. I'm quite intrigued by this. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really tasty. It's really Nothing tasty. Water. And it's, it's one of these... <laughs> you know, it's the sourest, but it doesn't... It's so soft and gentle. Cause yeah. You know when you add fat to... So you make a sauce... And then you add butter at the end of it. It kind of just like mutes all the flavors and kind of makes it come together a bit mm. better. So it's the same when you add milk to to a drink. It kind of softens all the flavors and kind of gets them to uh, yeah mingle a bit more with each other. Where, where do you where do you learn this stuff? Um, you kind of pick things up here and there. I think the most famous milk punch in London is uh, in the punch room in in Edition Hotel, and then there's. Um, there's other places that make it. I think Sager and Wild in uh, in East London. I've heard they've got a list of sort of four or five different ones as well. So it's it's it might not be the sort of uh, known to to the common person, mm. but certainly if you're a bartender in London, you'll you'll have had it at some point. We just do our own recipe of it. So we have you know you can do whatever you like really. So if you like rhubarb and custard, you can do a drink with rhubarb and custard and clarify it in the same way. So as long as you have sort of dairy elements in it, uh, or I'd imagine it works with egg as well, uh, it's, you, you can, you can, you can clarify it. <laughs> it's been on my mind for yeah. a while, actually. <laughs> See, I mean, I've, I've spoke to a couple of the guides, obviously, so far today about the competition in terms of restaurants. Yeah. You've just alluded to there, the competition in terms of bars as well in London is... Yeah, it's, it's so crazy, yeah. High. Yeah. So is it things like that that you're trying to do to sort of set yourself apart? Uh, not really. I don't really look too much on, on what other people do. I think, I mean, I've been making drinks for a while now. <laughs> um, I think when I started out, I looked more at what other people did. And I think that's how you learn really well as well. And you kind of, you learn by copying other people. Then once, once I kind of knew enough, you start getting your own ideas. So you start... I don't know, it's, when people ask you where do, where do you get inspiration from, uh, I, know, I can't really, I never have an answer for that. Uh, it could, you know, it could be you eat something and then you go, oh, I like that flavour, I wonder what that is. And then you kind of build mm. on a certain flavour and you go, I think that would be nice with that and that and that. So mm. it, it, it's not really, you know, you walk down the street and you see someone in a funny outfit and go, oh, I'm going to make a drink that looks like him. Yeah. It's not that sort of thing. It's more, you kind of just get a, pop of flavour and go, oh, that'd be really nice in a drink, actually. And then you work with that particular flavour. You know, it could be it could be just a raspberry or it could mm. be... We did a drink with Poppy the other day, um, which which is really nice. It's quite floral. And mm. It's like little things that you... It tastes familiar, but you never knew what it was, and then you kind of discover what it is, and then you weave it into something. 
My, my mum used to have a test of a good bar, and it was to order a Harvey Wallbanger. Okay. Because yeah. she said it was never, not always on menus in restaurants, but something that good barmen should know. I'd say, yeah, make. I'd say it's rarely on menus today. Yeah. Uh, I think last time I saw it on the menus probably in 2005. <laughs> well, yeah, but she's quite, she's quite an old-fashioned yeah. uh, old lady. But yeah. she, she says, I, think, uh, I think the key with something like that is not necessarily drink... I would drink myself, but I think the key is, you know, using a good orange juice as opposed to cotton orange juice. I yeah. think that's the key with everything. If you have good raw material, your drinks are going to taste better. And I think, yeah, it's kind of across the board. But but do you know what I mean? Like, are you, are you sort of encouraging your bar staff to be like, look, if somebody comes in and says, we oh, yeah, yeah, we do, we do. Back, oh, yeah, you yeah, need yeah, to know course. how to make that. Yeah, yeah, of we course. Need to know. We can't actually make it because we don't have to stop Galliano. <laughs> well, I'm we, not going to bring it in. I'm very disappointed. Uh, if you give me a heads up, we'll, we'll, we'll bring it in before she comes. <laughs> okay. And I think that's the kind of bar we are. We, we do, if, if we can, we'll go out of our way to sort of make it happen. Yeah. And no, of course, I mean, classics is the kind of foundation of everything. So I think to, to be good at making your own creations, you need to have a sort of basic knowledge of classics. Yeah. And a quite good one, because you, you quite often often balance a drink with three ingredients in a classic. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, when people make drinks today, sometimes they have 15 ingredients in it. You kind of lose, yeah. you kind of lose uh, the, the basics a little bit. You shouldn't have to have that many ingredients to balance a drink. And I don't think you can pick out 15 different flavours. So I think classics are really good. I don't really do twists on classics, but... Quite a lot of drinks have a similar balance to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see them as like building blocks. And you need something, say, you do a brown drink, you need something bitter, you need something strong. Um, obviously, you can't use acidity from lime or lemon, so maybe use a vermouth or something like that. So you kind of use the same building blocks, but uh, you do it with your own flavours. But mm-hmm. I think you need to have a basic understanding of, of the classics to, to kind of be successful at it. Do you know what always uh, I love when I go into these funky cocktail bars that pop up everywhere is, and you sort of alluded to it before, is like how it's served. You know, because remembering how to make the cocktail is one thing, but then you're also then serving it in these incredible ways and sometimes there's smoke billowing out of it and stuff. Like, is that just you guys having fun, basically? (laughs) Um I mean, it's, it, there's very different styles. Well, some, some bars, they, they focus very much on presentation. Um, to me, the drink kind of decides what the garnish is and how elaborate as well. Sometimes I think it's good. Like, if the drink's really, really nice and it smells really nice, sometimes you don't even need a garnish on it because, like the one I told you about, the, the Adam and Eve, it's such a simple-looking liquid, but mm. it delivers so much flavour. Mm. So, so for me, if you put loads of stuff on top of it, it kind of takes away a little bit from the drink. And other things like tiki drinks, it's quite straightforward. It, you know, it's rum, uh, rum, citrus juice, and a liqueur. And uh, you kind of need to... It's difficult to impress with, with that. <laughs> so you kind of need to put an umbrella on top, but yeah. you kind of need a bit yeah. more sort of fireworks. So I think for me, if... Do a couple of the flaming zombies. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so for me, it's kind of... I can't imagine somebody walking in here and ordering a sex on the beach. Or a, or a... It still happens. <laughs> it still happens. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> Not that often, but it still happens. And um, 
yeah, it's absolutely fine. <laughs> you know, you, you pay for it, you drink what you like. I suppose it is like you get that bars inherently. It's a fun place, right? People yeah. are out to have a good time and. Yeah, it's much nicer saying yes than no. Yeah. Like, a bar to me is like a free zone where you can do whatever you want and there shouldn't be any rules. Yeah. Um, so not, that's not the case always. But um, I think for me, the ideal bar is you get away with pretty much anything. And as long as as long as long we can provide with the drinks and the entertainment and, yeah. and facilitate, I think the guest is the limit rather than we should... Yeah rather than us setting limits I wouldn't like to say next time you see my mum's name make sure you've got, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. got the ingredients yeah. for, uh, for a Harvey I'll, I'll put down uh, Galliano on my, <laughs> on my order sheet for tomorrow Please, Steve. thank you so much yeah. let's, uh, let's, let's to wrap it up have you got one more funky cocktail um, you can talk to me about because I'm really enjoying this I'll do uh, how elaborate do you want to go let's go go crazy if you like okay um, I mean we don't we don't really do super crazy things but one one of my I've been drinking a lot of whiskey recently, okay, yeah, uh, so I'll share a, uh, one of our whiskey drinks. That's, it's one of these drinks that have been on the menu for a while as well, because it's, it's really tasty. Um, but we use Johnny Walker Gold, because it's quite sort of, it's almost a bit waxy and sort of toffee and a little bit nutty. So we've done a um, brown butter, and then you mix, so you do a fat wash, is what it's called. It does it, again, it sounds quite gross, but it uh, gives a really tasty result. Um, so essentially you take the flavour from a fat and then you incorporate it into spirit without keeping the fat so obviously if you brown a butter you're going to get a clear butter and that's going to you mix that with a whiskey and then that's then going to layer on top and then you freeze it and you can just take off the butter so you get you get the flavour of that sort of nutty brown butter yeah. incorporated into a whiskey and then we've uh, mixed that with um, two types of sherry uh Amontillado and Pedro Jimenez and you know sherry and whiskey they're like really yeah, good yeah, friends yeah, yeah. so you can imagine it's going to be good and then there's a bit of um, fortified wine as well Cocchi Americano which is uh, I tend to use sunny green quite a lot but it just makes things taste better it kind of it kind of just binds flavours together uh, in a nice really way it's like a transition anything I've really heard of that sort of process it's incredible yeah again it's I think something that's come from from kitchens re- originally but then it's been incorporated it's quite nice I usually use sort of vegetable oils rather than uh, rather than animal fats because I think they've got a sort of nicer and fresher fresher flavour and it sounds nicer like olive oil sounds a lot nicer than lard yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so um yeah, it's it's really nice drink. We have, we have a few drops of um, Gamble Dansk as well, which is I describe it as um, it's like Fernand Branca, but a more Christmassy version of it, and a little bit less, a little bit less sort of punchy, but still quite bitter. <laughs> I, do, I I mean, it's just it's not. I love I love cocktails anyway. Yeah, yeah. and it's just you just. I'm trying to kind of get my head around the things that you're describing. They're just saying, just say, you know, the whole space down there is stunning. And I think you're obviously doing some really amazing yeah, I mean, things. I feel, I feel you need to do drinks. Uh, for me, it's always more important what's in the glass. And I think we need to do um, the sort of interior and the surrounding justice yeah. with what we put in there. But at the end of the day, we don't, we, I kind of want to, I don't want to alienate people. So I like putting flavors that people recognize yeah. into drinks 
rather than you know you list five six ingredients and everyone goes what is that that? yeah Yeah. yeah. what's that going to taste like so I think brown butter people know what it tastes Mm. like whiskey they know what it tastes like sherry they Mm. know what it tastes like Um, so I think things like we have another I quite like sort of alcohol forward drinks myself we have another one which is uh, it's it's called smoking mirrors but it's uh, it's a similar balance to to Negroni so you have Camon Sons which is a British aperitif you have fortified wine um, there's a bit of Fernabranca oh it's a Gamel Dansk sorry uh, the other one had Fernabranca um, and then uh, there's a couple of drops of melon liqueur which sounds a bit weird you put in loads of sort of like herbal bitter things but what the melon liqueur does it just sort of pops and it makes everything sort of lift a little bit and it tastes a little bit lighter and a little bit more accessible and a little bit fresher so I think even with sort of inherently bitter drinks you can make something to make them a little bit more um, approachable mm. which I think that's 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 the sort of signature of, of the bar downstairs yeah. you make things that Accessible, you know, yeah, yeah they can seemingly serious, but when you taste them, they're actually quite light and, and yeah. inviting. Uh, so I think that's that's probably the signature. Oh, thank yeah. you. That's that's perfect way to end it. Thank yeah. you so much. I, I I could listen to you talk about cocktails <laughs> all day because it's just blowing my mind. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah. And uh, the best, you know, to people just can get a booking just for the bar or. Uh, we don't take bookings. It's, it's first Walk come, in. first serve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. But it's, you come know, come, come in the afternoon. Yeah. Uh, we're open from midday, so come on, come right. on in before. before I'll see you, I'll see you down. I'll see yeah. you down. Afterwards. Yeah. See you in a minute. Yeah. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you. So I couldn't be in Hyde without talking about wine because Hedonism Wine, who are part of the team with Ollie, have London's largest collection of wine or I think in fact the UK's largest connection of wine and so up next is interview with Hans Larsen one of the sommeliers at Hyde I was literally just saying that I suppose as an outsider when I was doing my research about Hyde it was always going to be obvious obviously with the hedonism connection that spirits as I was just talking about and wine were going to play a massive part in Hyde Um, and I've been around those cellars uh, earlier that must be like a playground to you right? It is it's um, just first of all working in such a beautiful environment as as our cellar stances are Uh, and also you know looking at the bottles you know when I remember starting six six months ago and um, we were just we're still what well, we were so exhilarated like oh my god how are we going to sell this when we're going to sell this we we're so excited every service was like what are we going to sell today and just yeah and it's, it's amazing it's I, mean, I cannot um i'll say highlight it enough i should speak yeah it's something like the biggest wine collection in the uk or something I'm yeah, reading. In, exactly it's the one it's, it's the if it's one of the or one of if not the largest wine collection in the uk actually we have the hedonism have a collection of about six thousand eight hundred bottles a lot of references uh, and then we have an additional couple of hundreds here on our wine list. So I mean, it's it's it's, uh, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. Is it not yeah. daunting? Because obviously, you know, you must do a lot of research about what wine, right? Mm, you obviously you've got your sommelier badge mm. on, but you know, there's only so much you must have known going into yeah. this. Yeah. How much has your knowledge base increased? Uh, I mean, it's, it's uh, multiple folds uh, increasing. Actually, I mean, like prior to starting here, you know, I I, I asked Hedonism to send the wine list to me to see what I have, and I was like, 
okay. Let's just, let's just, let's just, let's just, you know, you know, fall off my shirt and just get cracking, you know, like, yeah, I mean, we, we definitely got, um, straight away on reading about wines and everything. And now it helps now the knowledge just continues developing because it helps me personally a lot. And also my mind of some years to see the bottle and also taste the wine and put a reference to it. Mm-hmm. So like, I mean, as we, as we getting older as a restaurant, more our information and our knowledge will become increased, you know, so it's, uh, it's, that's where I think it's, you know, it comes from. It's easy to read, you know, a lot of the information, but unless you have something really stuck to the information, it's quite hard to remember. So no, but it's, it, it, but to answer your question very easily, it's some daunting sometimes. Indeed, when people are asking you about, What's the grapes in this kind of wines, particular wine from an area in America you never heard of or whatever? And you're like, yeah, actually, you know, you, know you never say no to guests, but they always say, I'll find out for you. Yeah. And it's just, you know, you have to be honest with you, you know, for the last thing you can do, should do, is lie to the guests because you never know who is sitting there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, like, I've been lucky enough to talk to lots of sommeliers now, um, and I always talk about pairing wine with mm-hmm. food mm-hmm. and I wondered if it was again more of a challenge when you've got that much wine it's like well this one would go really really well with this dish but we've probably got five other wines yeah, exactly. that would go well with this dish so how do you kind of whittle it down I mean when it comes to creating a wine pairing list uh, different wine pairings and as we have three up here um, we pretty much as I said we narrow it down we take about 10 in the end 10 different products and then we look at them, okay, what would we want? How this behaving? Um, we go on, right, go a lot of, on, um, how say, we go a lot of experience and as well on, on our uh, intuition. So it's, um, it's hard, but in the other days, one, one wine shining brighter than the other. The good thing is as well that we don't have endless amount of wine. And the courses sometimes they stay and stays longer on the menu than we have a lot of wine. Mm-hmm. So it's perfect. So like if you have 10 wines, maybe you can plow through three of them and you would get different kind of common, different kind of experiences uh, yeah, every yeah. time as well. So that's the, that's a good sign of so it. So the taste, the, the wine pairing can evolve as well kind of thing. It, exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's what we do every day. You know, like we, we try, try the food, try the wine, you know, and then you go out tasting, try tastings or importers. It's very tough job. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel so sorry for myself. <laughs> so what, what's uh, what's your sort of background? Because you know, obviously, becoming a, a sommelier of, of any level is takes a lot of dedication and a lot of hard work. So what's your sort of background? Uh, well, to this like a brief version, I'm um, so my father. I'm Swedish. by Swedish, and I'm from Stockholm. My father. Uh, oh, it's fantastic city. It's amazing. It's uh, I'm, I'm some homesick sometimes, especially yeah. in the autumn. Um, well, basically, my father's the one is pretty important. Um, he started and he started bringing with me uh, to different kind of uh, eras through Europe and trying. And he tried wines, and I was sometimes like you know, being you know sixteen in some of the country you can taste wines. So I last was allowed to try some wines, and I thought it was interesting and see the passion from the winemaker. Mm-hmm. And then, then I was like, pretty much got bitten by the wine bug. <laughs> and then when I was turned eighteen, I got my first sommelier education, and since then it's just been. You know, evolving. I've been mm. traveling to made the vintage in France, in Hunter Valley, in Australia. Mm. Worked a little bit more in different restaurants in Australia. Worked in here in UK and in Sweden. Mm. So it's. I mean, that that comes down, and then the latest project for me is to pursue to become a master sommelier. So mm. that's my one of my more recent dedications and dedication. Mm. And that's where a place like this really comes in because a lot of the the lot of wines that we have are perfect into that approach of the corporate muscle sommelier so we can really 
you know, taste wines that they will ask questions about in exams, yeah. etc. So it's perfect for me. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, definitely not. Master Sommelier is the kind of top of the top, isn't it, really? They're Indeed. the guys that are probably in three Michelin star places in the world. Exactly. They're quite a rare breed, right? Yeah. So, oh, exactly. I mean, it's... it's even, uh, even advanced, really. That's, yeah. You're quite... You're obviously top of your game. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I've, I'm, I'm starting to hit my home runs, should I speak, so it's, it's getting there. But I mean, it's... Exactly, I mean, because Master Sommelier is my my PhD wine or you know my f- end goal and it's and it's to get that you need to you know really just go completely obsessed with wines and stuff and we also have to have say we have two others as well who's doing their master exam actually next week wow so we are we have some really tell we have some extraordinary talented people in wow. the gym yeah. yeah that's quite a lot of people then really to have at that level yeah oh, indeed I oh, am yeah, but it's perfect I mean it's also fun because we can push each other obscure questions and I'm in this region in Moldavia or something and they're like you don't know oh you suck and then they send a question <laughs> to me and I'm like oh my yeah so it's, uh, it's fun it's, it's a good way to push each other you know have a you know a little of, um, spark in the eye you know like, you know, like quite fun and you know a little bit of like that. the competitive nature is good I like it do you know what I've really started to enjoy because when we used to do Michelin's we would do one of two things we would either do the wine pairing but more often than not we would just go and obviously we're always on a budget but we would sort of go well I know I like this so this sounds kind of roughly like that so I'll order that but what I've started to do now and I wonder if this is what you like is say to the sommelier look I've got a budget of, I don't know, £70. I want to buy a nice bottle of wine, and this is the sort of thing we like. Do you like it when a customer does that? I would say you will, yeah, you will, you are, I would personally love that, I love that kind of guest, but yeah. it is, put it easy, I love that kind of guest because that makes that you, you know, it's a bit of, um, almost like a mystery game almost, you know, because you need to find out what, what did the guests like, what's his previous experience, what did they like, and then also take this course, the financial part into into the account. And so it's, I, I love this. I mean, it's it's so much fun because I love guests who comes in and open-minded. Obviously, you can have your taste, and I love that, and then yeah. people who are firm, I like this. Cool, I'll give you the best thing you can get. Okay. I think the money you want to spend for taste like that. But yeah. otherwise, yeah. It's always a shame. Well, let's do it. Can we yeah. role play? Oh, we'll role play now. So let's do it. So I love cool. white wine. I don't really cool. like red wine. Yeah, um, perfect. I want to spend no less, no more than seventy pound. Yeah, and I like, um, I like kind of light fruity wines. Mm-hmm. What have you got down in the cellar that you might recommend me? Cool, uh, perfect. My light fruity. I mean, uh, first of all, that comes from mine is uh, a wine called from uh, Bairada in uh, Portugal. Uh, it's a um, it's called Nossa Calquiro. Now my pronunciation is not hundred percent, but it's a fantastic wine. It's actually I think it's about forty seven pounds on our list. Uh, absolutely banging wine. This is very minerally light, refreshing. Has that almost like licking shark stone uh, with a little. Uh, yellow apple and it's just yeah, and that's what I would recommend straight away and it suits perfectly all this food um, if I need to leave that behind I'm going to go for a wine um, from uh, well it's from it's just from oh actually it's wine uh, now the I personally hate this name but I love the name now the wine is called Domaine de Arrozudiers now that's French from a guy from a um, place in um in uh, Savoie, uh, a small tiny domain. Um, this is a blend of Chardonnay, uh, Mondus Blanc, Chacquer. Where, where are you remembering all this from? Oh, it's, 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 it's somewhere behind there, you know, <laughs> somewhere behind. And uh, I mean, it's, it's uh, 2014 Argyll. I love this one as well. It's quite similar to, to the previous wine, but in a sense that it is a little bit more 
textural, rounded, it has a bit more complexity, hence it's different kind of grape varieties. And yeah, and I it's, love this. This is yeah, great. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's perfect. I mean, I love the kind of kind of wines. So it's because uh, yeah. I suppose as well, it's for you. It's about thinking on your feet. And yeah. what there's kind of different schools, isn't there? Of almost like have a couple that you're just yeah. going to kind of recommend, exactly, or what you're doing now which is honestly thinking about yeah. it and obviously you've got a mental pitch in your head of the white wines yeah. that you've got available exactly. and yeah. you're trying to sort of serve the customer yeah exactly I mean it's in, in the end of the day I've always for content day I'm there to, to serve the guests I'm there to help the guests find something to make their night even better you know like obviously it's well taken extremely well taken care of when it comes to the food and something to bring out to accompany that and translate something as subjective as taste into something, mm. something given to the guest. Um, I mean, I love that whole that whole experience and I see the f- the f- smile on the person's face when you actually get the wine that you like. They're like, "Yeah, this is absolutely amazing." I'm like, but even after almost 15 years in the wine, in the hospitality industry, I still get warm and fussy in me, so to speak, when I when I see a guy get smiling over a bottle of good wine, even if it's a wine for, you know. 45, 50 quid up to way too much. You know, like it's just, yeah, I love it. To me, I, I've been a foodie for a few years now and I love going into fine dining restaurants yeah. and there's nothing that quite satisfies me when I'm having, especially a tasting menu, as wine. Mm-hmm. And it, nice. Do you kind of notice that as well, that, that it's just kind of a perfect combination for that kind of fine dining experience as a nice bottle of wine? Uh, yeah. I mean, yes, indeed. I mean, it's it's, it's to, to to be able to match that kind of like perfect combination between wine and food, and and to give that to the guests in this and then in this setting makes it so special and and really amazing. Um, I mean, coming to fine dining, I think it's just I think you know if you make one bottle of wine, sure you can do that. It's really good, and you can match for some food. You can have different um, how to say. You, you can you can match one bottle of different kind of courses, but when you come into the wine pairing itself, and you have the opportunity to try wines, and then to specifically for course you can get an astro gastronomical experience every time. And uh, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it's a perfect setting for this. I mean, fine dining is a little bit more. You sit down, then you can actually give the focus to the products as well in front of you in the different wine. I mean, I love being going to bistro. It's a little bit more higher tempo. You eat, you laugh, and you you drink excessively more not I mean as you have fun and but yeah how do you kind of set a standard in terms of the service for smelliers because it's quite a big part of you know your, your dining experience so are you encouraging your guys to really understand what the customers want spend that bit extra time talking about the wine so what's you know how do you kind of set that standard that's a very good question um I mean, so being a sommelier, I do believe that this, fortunately, is not one of those jobs, or luckily as well, it's not one of those jobs that you go to work, you do your job, and you go home, and it's all over. It's more you go, you do your day's job, and then you go home and you study, and you read about wine, you live and breathe it. Um, so, I mean, I always set higher standards to my sommeliers to knowledge, and as you say, the customer product, I mean, wanted to, for this way to put the best service experience for the guests is that is always listen and I tell them to not force their own products upon the guests I've been to so many restaurants there where I'm telling them this is you said I want 
I mean, if you said you want to have a light red wine, I'm not going to go and offer you a Napa cab for on 15.5% of alcohol. That's not what you're looking for. Um, so give Elsie tell them, tell them, take your time, let you also your personality go through, show you how to see them, show you your passion for wine, and also make the guests feel comfortable and in your in your confidence, you should mm-hmm. speak, that you can make a good decision for them. And then... And the end of the day as well, like I think it's that what it comes down to. Mm. Um, I also I think so many times that sommeliers sometimes get so much rules around them, and that um, I rather give them within a frame to play with. You know, here's your set of rules that I want you to follow. Within that, you can be yourself and do what you need to, to make the guests feel comfortable. Of course, mm. every guest is different. Some guests you can joke around with and. And really, you know, do some real obscure stuff. But and then they have the guests to come see you to say yes, no. That's what you like. This is what I recommend. Mm-hmm. Have a good evening. You come by now and then, asking this and this, Definitely and otherwise okay. that's yeah, it. Yeah. 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 So I mean, yeah. And also, I'm saying like that's also following that. That's one of the main rules as well. Do not be robotic. Mm. Every guest is different. Treat them, treat them as such, because it's. Otherwise, it's the worst thing. I come in feeling like a robotic service. Yeah, yeah. I notice it so quickly, and they're keeping your their, their distance to you, and I feel a bit. They feel a bit uncomfortable, you know, especially in fine dining experience when yeah, new people come in, never been in a fine dining mm-hmm. place, you know, like and they feel like you are in a library. Someone's just gonna, shh, you know, keep quiet. That's not what I want. Yeah. You know, so, and I suppose mm-hmm. for. The, op- the opposite side is for every sort of novice or first time or, or someone experiencing yeah. it, especially being somewhere like this, where you're known to have that big wine list. I imagine you must have some real wine buffs. I do. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, here I mean, that's the thing. They come in in every shape and form and experience and wallets and, you know, money to spend as well. Like, so it's, it's a very, every, from every different aspect of the wine lovers actually yeah. come in. Yeah. Is it more difficult, though, if I came in and I was like, I'm, re- you know, really like, rarefied taste know a lot about wine do you kind of have to up your game a little bit or do you just kind of let me do my thing <laughs> I mean to be honest if I will if you're talking about personally if I find it quite easy in, in both directions because in that case if you know what you like and your taste you know you you probably know exactly what you like to drink or something like that I'm more then it comes down to a different approach from me. Mm. So I'm just here to help you find what you want. Mm. I don't need to explain that much. I just need to find yeah. um, the, the wine that you're looking for, should yeah. you speak. And that's going to be quite easy, you know. And, and yeah, I mean, sometimes people can be a little bit difficult you know, when you recommend 10 different wines that they don't like any of them. Yeah. But, I mean, that's rare, honestly. Like, I mean, if someone who's has that special taste and they tell me, you should ask first question is then, what do you drink? What is that you like? Mm. What did the last bottle you had? What do you think you like to have tonight? And then from those things, I'm trying to circle yeah, in what I like to. Of... Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just an, it's, 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 that's where it comes down to. It's a dialogue. You know, I get to know you. You know a little bit about me. You know, we have a conversation. Getting, I'm trying to figure out what you want because that's my job, really, trying to figure out what you want. And even and sometimes these things that you don't even know you want. Like, <laughs> I mean, honestly, like it sounds very quirky, or I know, but it's, it's, it's sometimes, you know, like, people like, oh, man, you like you like wine and you say oh maybe you like to try this Pinot Noir from Oregon and they never drink Oregon they're like ah oh, actually you know what I want something yeah, like yeah, that yeah. that's perfect you know I never thought about that and it's quite fun so no I know what you mean I was in Midsummer House and did what I said to you just said will you just recommend me a wine yeah. and he brought out um Chardonnay, which I so rarely drink, Um, and I really would normally say I wouldn't like it, Mm. but I I said, you know, I trusted him, and it was delicious, one of the nicest wines I've had. Perfect, nice. So it's like it is; it's that kind of 
surprising moment, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, and that's and also and that makes you a little bit more happy as well, you know. Like, because I mean, let's say you say, let's say you just turn around, you say you drink the same wine over and over again, mm. you know, like it's good, you like it, but. Yeah. And he brings out that amazing Chardonnay you would never have shoes and you, you, it's a different kind of satisfaction as well mm. like oh shit this is so amazing mm. and, and then you found a new new perspective and you, your your eyes are open to be more wider you know and you can try mm. different things next time you come so it's uh, yeah. yeah well nice. I, I must say that when I come in to eat in the new year I will mm. look for you and I will mm. challenge you oh. to choose me the best bottle of Perfect. white wine is that alright oh bring it on okay. I, will, I will wait <laughs> oh, well, is it Mang Attack uh, Manga Tak Thank you so Manga Tak Thank you very much mate. Thank you Ta-da. Last but by no means least And of course the second man to make this interview happen He was an absolute gentleman all day And I fell in love with him a little bit uh, I know he's going to listen to this So it's not going to be awkward I hope the next time I see him But thank you so much to General Manager of Hyde Matt Mortis And here he is now should we crack on? Let's do it. Let's do, do you know it. what? Right? Because I'm relaxed now. I'm into it now. Mm-hmm. We've kind of got to know each other. Mm-hmm. But the one, and I'll say this now, honestly, the one thing that you get, the and I was expecting it, but not as much as I have, just the, the level of, of service. Every single person in here is just committed to it, isn't it? And Absolutely. That is, yeah. Do you know what it is? It's hospitality, mm-hmm. and that's what has, to me, has separated today. Apart mm-hmm. from a lot of the places I've been to, had it at Moor Hall recently. Where okay, it's hospitality. It's some of them. It's service, and it's good. Yeah, this is hospitality, yeah. right? That's lovely to hear. I mean, that's 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 really really lovely to hear. That's kind of that's what we set out to do. I mean, it's you know, Danny Meyer's got a famous quote where it says, "Service is something that you that you do for somebody. Hospitality is how you make them feel." And we really believe in that. It's really, really important. And I mean, I think you know, from from point of view of you know, take for example yourself arriving. You know, you've you've come here today as as our guest, and you've come to do a podcast and do for a purpose. But ultimately, when you walk through the door, the you know, the first thing that I concern myself with is have you got a coffee and have you had breakfast? You know, and and I don't know that, but. I want to give you a croissant and a kugelhof because they're delicious and I want to give you a coffee because I want you to make, make to, to relax you and make you feel at home and that's you know that that goes for everybody and, and you know people people come to restaurants with the intention of, of, of eating and, and, and you know and they kind of you know we're very lucky that we've got such a talented chef in Ollie, Luke and Josh and, and you know the rest of the brigade and you know they, they come for that experience with the with, sorry they come for the for the food and they come to eat but what they experience very much comes from the warmth that, that hopefully the front of house offer. And, you know, that's very often that's why people come back because mm-hmm. they're made to feel so welcome and so at home. And that's, you know, that absolutely runs right at the core of what we do. Um, and, you know, we were hospitable to our guests, we're hospitable to our staff, hospitable to each other. Um, you know, you know the guys in the kitchen, they're, they're, they're approachable, they're friendly, they're warm, they... Mm-hmm they care they care about the feeling and and i think that you know i'm very pleased to hear that you've that you that you say that when mm. you know when you walk in because we do care we care about every single person who walks mm. through the door here and it's absolute genuine hospitality i'm i mean i'm getting to the thing where i'm not want, i'm not going to want to leave i'm not going to want to <laughs> go out onto the busy streets of london because mm. there's just this serenity about the place everywhere mm. is just beautiful you gave you kindly gave me the tour earlier mm. 
and just the amount of detail yeah. that has gone into everything that you guys do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How do you encourage yourselves to keep the standards mm. to that level? I mean, I, th- I think it's you know it's worth starting from the beginning here. When when Tatiana and Evgeny and you know Tatiana's basically designed the whole place is, is what she's done. She's so she's all the kind of details and intricacies that we have has all come from Tatiana. She's worked with a designer to make that practical and to and to kind of put the you know, to make it happen. But um when when the when the whole concept was first thought of and the name Hyde, it's somewhere to hide and somewhere for serenity and you know, you look out onto Piccadilly and it's just constant traffic and people and it's busy and you look around the streets and there's there's always something going on. But here it's very tranquil and you walk in and you and you have that kind of um you know, you, you look out onto London, you look out onto the world going by, but you can spend 10 minutes here or you can spend 10 hours here. And, you know, you feel you feel that you're somewhere which is a place to hide. And mm. that's the whole idea. Now, in terms of setting, you know, that, so that's that's the bar being set. Um, and that's what the, the message is and that's what we're expected to achieve. And I think, you know, in terms of maintaining that standard on a daily basis, we... You know, we, we, we have the bar, we have the line, we know where we need to be. And it's really as simple as we're only ever as good as our last service. Mm. And, and you, you know, you can, you, you have to look ahead and you have to be very proactive with what you do. Um, you know, it's, it's very challenging to work in a reactive environment, but at the same time, a forward, you know, a forward thinking approach and being as proactive as possible, putting as many systems in place, which we have a lot, you know, checklists and, um, order sheets and forms and, and booking systems and till systems and reservation systems and phone systems and, and induction programs and you know you name it it's, it's it's we've got a library of literature for this place it's I mean yeah it's crazy we spent the first three months of this year just writing what we're going to do yeah and you know to we're only ever as good as our last service as I say but to achieve that it's I guess it goes back to that hospitality. And when somebody starts, when, when we have a new start to begin, they have a very set program about what their journey looks like. So their first week, they'll be bodied up with somebody who's a nominated trainer and they're showing the ropes and they're, and they're made to feel welcome and they're made to, they're introduced to everybody and we get them around and they know who the guests are and, and the table numbers and where the guest toilets are and where the staff facilities are and where they can get their staff food and what the menus are. And we don't, you know, we don't approach it day one there's your menu descriptions learn the menu first day one it's like okay welcome to Hyde you're part of the team now you know congratulations this is the journey that you're going to go on and this is where first of all what this is what you need to know for you to be successful so this is where you can find this this is where you can find that this is who this person is this is who that person is and day one is literally walking them around and introducing them to the restaurant Mm. I mean it is massive it's it's enormous you know the whole place is enormous and even I find myself, I get lost sometimes. You know, I'm walking around, I'm just hang on a second now. Have I found myself here? What's just struck me, and I've been thinking about it a lot through the day, is how many different experiences you could have here as the same person coming. You know, you could sit in, we're in this, this private dining room now. You could sit here as like a boardroom meeting, you know, and have coffees, teas, cakes from downstairs, or you could have fine dining, or you could have. You know, and then there's those stunning little private rooms down by the bar where you could have a really intimate experience. You know, it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, that's that's the idea. Um, you know, you can so let's so let's break it down. You can come to Hyde Above, 
Uh, you can have a three-course lunch, uh, as you say, a business lunch, in and out in one hour. You know, um, it's good value. Uh, the reflects seasonality. It's obviously it's mission starred. It's it ticks all the boxes. We've got. Um, you know, we've, we've, we've got this, the right service, the right setting if you want to impress somebody or if you come back and you want to be known, you can do that. Then you can come to Hyde Above for a tasting menu. So again, if you want a slightly longer business lunch or you want an intimate night with your partner or you want some friends or or whatever whatever it is that, you know, that occasion that warrants a tasting menu, we have that. Uh, ground floor, you can come in 7.30 in the morning for breakfast. Um, you know, we've got a we've got a great breakfast offering. We, we kind of... You know, we have your full English, we have your eggs benedicts, we have all that, but we also have really different things like mango with kefir lime, or we've got the kugelhops, grapefruit kugelhops that you had yeah, this morning. Delicious. It's fantastic, isn't it? Um, smoked teal uh, omelette, um, glazed smoked teal omelette, which is lovely. So we have something which is kind of a staple, and we have something for people to kind of explore a little bit with. Um, then we have the a la carte there. So again, obviously, mission start for the start for the whole building. Um, you know, you can have a main course and a glass of wine and be in and out super quick. You can come in and have loads of friends and get loads of sharing plates in the middle and just have a really great night. You can come in with your partner and have a nice quick a la carte three course if you want or you can have a nice long lunch or however you want to do it. Again, for dinner, we've got afternoon tea, we can do that. So you can come in, you know, you're floating around town, you want to have a, you know, a nice afternoon tea, you come in and have a really elegant afternoon tea. And then... Something which, you know, um, umbrellas the whole thing is we've got 7,000 wines available. Yeah. It's which, well, yeah, usually, you know, between six and a half and 7,000 wines, depending depending on what's in stock. But, you know, we have, it's <laughs> nuts. It's like, you know, when, when they, when they, I was first approached about it and I was told, I was like, that's amazing. How, like, do, you, how do you even begin as the general manager to mm-hmm. manage that? Um... I, I'm, <laughs> I'm really lucky that I have a really great team around me. You know, that, that is the honest answer to it because I couldn't do, I just, it's impossible to do thing on your, the whole thing on your own. You yeah. know, I've got, I've got really, really talented and very committed managers around me that, that they've got their job. I mean, I think something this size, um, you have to have, you know, I've got six direct reports and they've got their own specific and they concentrate on that. And, and that's how it's got to work, you know. Um, and they, you know, they've got their kind of the level of expectation that they that they have is the same as I have, and they have their specific roles. So be that um, a GM for above, GM for ground, be it the bar manager, be it a head sommelier, be it a head receptionist or, or head of or reservations and, and events manager. They've got their job, so I check in on them on a, you know on a on a daily basis or a weekly basis, and, and we touch base and. It makes my role really interesting because one minute I'm talking to Hans about the wine list, the next minute I'm talking to Georgie about reservations and open table, the next minute I'm talking to Kieran about, I don't know, breakfast service on ground floor, the next minute I'm talking to reception about how we can improve our greeting. So, mm. you know, I've got lots of different hats that I wear. Mm. And and it means that, I mean, there, it's never been truer that no two days are the same. Like, it's it's, you know, it's great and it's... It's so eclectic, and then of course, um, I sit with Tatiana, who's the CEO, and she's she's my boss, and we talk on a weekly basis about what's happening and what's going on, and when when where we're going, and you know what what issues that we have, what positives we have, and and you know it's it's a really it's a very harmonious environment, and and mm. you know that's that's how I approach it, and it's mm. you know you, you kind of 
you know, you, it's it's possible to eat an elephant, but just one bite at a time, you know, and that's that's how you got to do it. And you you break it down, and and you just proactivity. Are you, are you? I mean, this is probably a stupid question, but are you enjoying it? Love it. Absolutely love it. I love it. I relish coming to work every single day. I love it. It's just, it, you know, it's. I think it's it's a real statement this restaurant, yeah. and you know, it's not without its challenges. Um, and you know, some days are harder than others, and some days, yeah. you, you know, you kind of finish work and you think, "Wow, that was uh, that was a really crazy day." But I have. I'm so lucky that I've. I mean, I'm lucky with my career because it's it's something that I, that really comes from the heart, and I yeah. and you know I'm. I'm fortunate to to been in a position where I could choose kind of what I wanted to mm-hmm. do for a career, and I've, I have a very supportive family, and um, so I chose this because I I just I just love it. Um, but I just I absolutely love working here. It's it's great. It really is. Yeah. And as we were kind of talking about earlier, this is the first time I've done something like this yeah. through the podcast, which is a special focusing around just one place Mm -hmm. so normally when i've done it before we've hopped around to different chefs or what have you but what's been so interesting and we've kind of talked about it throughout the day is how you've got all these people and obviously quite a lot of you have have mixed before in place like dabo and what have you but now all kind of coming together to achieve yeah the same thing yeah and it's it is it's just from the outside it just it's just like it's just blowing me away today. The, yeah. the whole, the, everything has just really impressed me massively. Okay. And as, I suppose after all that long build and how and long time keeping it hush hush mm. and what have you, mm. it must be now the ultimate satisfaction really to show this place off. Yeah, I mean we, you know, we're all really really proud of it and and, of, and what we've achieved. And it's, I mean, I take I take great pleasure in in people coming to see us and and you know. I, I don't know how many times I've walked up and down that staircase, but the novelty never wears off. I mean, you know, and and when people come to have a look, I, again, I, I've lost count of how many showrounds I've done. And you walk, you know, I've kind of got my route where you start in above, and yeah, it was perfect. Yeah, <laughs> it works really well, doesn't it? And you, do, you go in the lift, and you've got the little, you know, the the the, the layer, the secret level between uh, mezzanine and ground where you can show the architect's model, and 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 I love it, and it's just. You know, I I love watching people's reaction to it because it's, you know, there's so much detail and there's so much kind of intricacy in it. And yeah. the more you look, the more you find. Like, you know, on the wall there, yeah. there's a little bunch of grapes that you can see. That's my old. You, just on that, just where the where the dividing panel is. There's a first panel there. You see the the atomizer for the perfume. Oh right yeah, 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 yeah. If you just go right and up slightly, there's yeah. a little. Um, bunch of grapes. Yeah, yeah. That's my old sommelier grapes from restaurant. Uh, sorry, Gordon Ramsay Claridge's. When my first job in London twelve years ago, and they asked us to give in these personal trinkets, which you know, so you, you've got there's a little rubber duck there, isn't there? Yeah. So there's a little rubber duck. You've got some love hearts in there. And Ollie put one of his neck. There's some sugar tongs there. A necklace from Ollie. There's some corkscrews and. And I love that. And there's, it's I mean, not, yeah, we're not a visual medium, unfortunately. But yeah. what I encourage people do to do is come down and ask you to show yeah. them this because the detail in yeah. this place is just silly, isn't it? Yeah, really? it's 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 great. And I mean, the, there is literally no stone has gone unturned, mm. like no stone at all. I mean, yeah. when we exit the PDR, there's little um, Tatiana's feet have been. There's a there's a, there's a kind of a. a um, Indentation where they've been grooved into the wood, which I'll show you. So, and that's just the going in there and coming out here, and it's an actual rep, like uh, model of her feet. It's just it's amazing. And 
you know, we have we have so many little details, and it's and it's so much fun. And and every day I walk around here. I mean, I've you know I've been involved in a project from the second of January is when I started, but when I accepted the position last year, I kind of you know um, focused, you know, spent my spare time kind of working on it and, and trying to get as ready as I could do for it because mm. you know it's, it's a big it's a big thing to mm. take on. And if I didn't know what was going on when mm. I started, you know, I'd, I'd have had a, a very very full plate. So. Mm you know, coming, you know, during the build process and seeing it come to life and watching that staircase getting, you know, sanded into place and watching the floors go down and, you know, the day when all the furniture arrived and we carried it all up the stairs and we kind of, you know, it was a massive team effort. And Mm. even now I look at certain details that I didn't realise were here and it just kind of pops out and just, oh, there's another new thing that I didn't didn't know that was there. That's great, you know. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing, really amazing. Well, you know, like I say, you, uh, Josh, I was talking to about trying to get involved in this and then you've been my liaison really to get in here. Um, it's just, you know, the day just blow me away really. I think this is, this is something that was really going to stand out in the, in the podcast mm. kind of canon and I really encourage people listening to this to come down and, and there's so many different experiences that you can have under one roof, but you know, I'm kind of lost for words really yeah. with how you know how amazed it's it's been today. I can only thank you so much for. It's really a pleasure, and mm. you know, obviously, again, to just highlight what you've achieved in mm. what six months, seven months. Uh, yeah, we opened on the seventeenth of April, and we're now the what twentieth of October. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, we're six months and three days old. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's it's there's a long way to go with yeah. lots of things, and we've got a really you know we've got a. Um, We've got a lot to look forward to, but yeah. you know, we look back on it, and everybody. I mean, you know, like, like I say, the team here is just fantastic, and mm-hmm. you know, we we really are kind of you know arm in arm, and we're, we're all very professional, and very committed to to achieving the very best that we can, and you know, we've all. I think this has all come at the sorry for all of us has come at the right stages of our careers. I mean, I'm I'm you know I'm lucky that I've had I've had a pretty good run so far, but. Um, you know, this came at the right time for me, and 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 I know for Ollie and Oscar as well. When they closed the booth, this was a this was a, a really good step for them to take, mm-hmm. and certainly for for Josh and Luke and and for Hans as well, who you've spoken to, and, and everybody else who's part of it here. Um, and you know, we we all take our careers very seriously, and I think that you know, in in terms of delivering on this, it was it was an opportunity for us to really make a statement as, mm. as much for our ourselves as for our employers. Yeah. I think you've made a statement and half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think I'm going to stop thinking about this for a long time. I really don't. Yeah. Um, you know, it's so rare when you come into places, like you say, after six months, I was fortunate enough to do it at Moore Hall mm-hmm. where it's just like, you've been it feels like you've been here forever sort of thing you know it's a slick operation yeah everything has been thought about and and more hall was the same and here's the same um and i've said to everybody really to finish up really i just can't wait as a foodie more than anything and now obviously i've been involved i'm slightly more invested but to just see what you guys do here is going to be one of the biggest excitements for me in the whole uk and whole world food scene Mm -hmm. i can't wait to see what you guys achieve here because i know it's going to be special Uh, thank you and and just thank you for organizing this day for me it's been amazing no really it's a a pleasure and thank you for coming and you know we we just yeah we we love to do things like this and it's just it's great for us to kind of you know just um i think for you to come and spend your morning with us and and kind of 
give us the opportunity to talk about what we do here. We, you know, we really appreciate that, and thank you, thank you very much for doing it. Anytime. And give us a couple of years. We'll come back and we'll revisit and we'll <laughs> yes. see see how far you've come. Yeah, no, we'll we'll look forward to that. We'll it's do, uh, we'll do a yeah, up. for sure, we'll do it. And I'm promising you that I'm coming to eat in the new year. We'd love to have you. Yeah, like, really, no problem. Yeah, we'd yeah, love to have you. Thank you. Thank you, mate. Thanks again to the wonderful series partner Chef Works. Check them out on social media. Just search at ChefWorks UK and Ireland on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Hashtag ChefWorks wearers to feature, or get in touch if you want to appear as the chef of the month. <laughs>